welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Everything's recording. It's on you. Are we going sunglasses? I would. I mean, I'll probably take him off at some point. <laughs> but, dude, cheers. Before. Indeed. Who knows where this is going to go? You better Whoa. swing that thing closer. You know the deal. There you go. I don't. These are the Rogan mics. You got to just say I know. Way. It's been a while. It's been a while. I'm used to like the, the helicopter setup, which is normally what I go with. I like that too. But This is nice because I can back away and not give people the, the ice because people get sick of the ice. But I'm a fluid drinker. Is that fair to say? Yes. We have we have drank a lot of fluid in our days. <laughs> <laughs> in our limited days together, we've we've had some fluid. Speaking of, it's about time to switch this out. It's a little bit towards the tail end of the keg, I think. It is. It didn't have quite the uh, milky waterfall. Starting to taste just a touch austere. Mmm. Yeah. So what would be the level right above that? Jockstrappy. <laughs> we're like, how far are you going to take this career as as like an official wine taster? And, sommelier? Yeah, I mean. If you go to the Kawaspell. I don't think you can only be a sommelier because your palate is very diverse. True. So, But you, sommeliers have to understand cigars, wine, bourbons. Uh, and it's more than just knowledge, too, right? You have to understand the old world, new world, the grapes, the vintages, tastings, pairing notes. So I don't know how far I'm going to go. But if you go to the uh, Kalispell Wikipedia page, I'm listed as a notable person as a sommelier. <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it. I, by the way, didn't put myself there, but somebody did, and I appreciate that. That person. is awesome. Yeah. That's hilarious. Because I don't know shit about wine. What's funny is when you get someone that pretends to be a sommelier but they're absolutely horrible sharon and i ordered a really good bottle of wine and the dude i was asking him about it and he was giving me his opinion and as he was giving me his opinion i'm like i don't think this guy even knows anything about this subject like i feel like the sommelier didn't show up that night so they just had this kid do it and then when once i watched him try to uncork the bottle I realized he had never used Texas Chainsaw Massacre scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he had that's... never used that thing ever a day of his life. And then that was it. I've had some questionable uncorkings where it, eventually the cork just went down into the bottle of wine and then I got a little screen filter to pour it through. No, there's been a lot of hunting camps where that's how I did open it. Yeah. It's all the push in is it's the way to go. You can do that anywhere. Like the if, with a lot of things. <laughs> here we go which leads into the, probably one of the top questions here no q and a on the old knock on podcast all right i'm game all right so very I just, very rarely uh do i get to be the recipient of the i mean i do friday episodes where people ask me questions i know but it's never like an interview setting it's me like so andy what do you think about this well i'm glad that you asked me let me <laughs> Well, I pretty much just went oldest first, and I mean, it starts with K-Rod 111 saying, would like to hear Andy's take on his singing career with Creed. 
So a lot of people listening that was might, might think that that was the first time I've ever been uh, compared and contrasted with Scott Stapp, the lead singer of <laughs> Creed, a band that largely shaped American music culture um, and has taken us in a different creative direction. Higher, I mean. Is a notable song. I have no idea what that dude is up to these days. I have been compared to him for years so when i see it start coming out i'm just like all right motherfuckers like fire away <laughs> actually at a phase of my life enjoyed creed me there, too there was I some agree. uh there was i don't remember the album at all but it as you were obviously having fun with your mobile photoshop app on your phone and you kept posting it wasn't me to be fair it was a buddy of mine fred gross who was submitting yeah yeah <laughs> yep he he actually um i woke up that same morning and I open it up, and the picture, like I didn't read the caption yet. It was just the picture. And at first, it was kind of like, what's Handy been arrested for? Because it was like, I saw you and that one next to it. And I'm like, wait a minute. And then I read, you know, have you ever realized how close he looks to Creed? And I'm like, oh, my God. And so I just posted it without even thinking, you know, hoping you would see it. And then. Oh, I saw it. Well, then within... But here. the move, though, is not to react. <laughs> I'm just going to show everyone on the camera. Pointed at that one. Why? <laughs> it's further away. But, all right, I did it. Yeah, that is totally your move. But I will say, when, it, when I text you the link, the how fast you responded with a picture of your radio with that song on was... It's in the playlist on my phone. I was going to say, you were actually listening to that song by how fast you... Re- I scrolled to it, hit it, was listening to it, took the picture, <laughs> and sent it to you within a few minutes. Yeah, so not the first time that it, that uh, that comparison has been brought up. Well, I mean, how do you feel like you sing in the shower to this? I don't sing. And the speakers at the house are all in the front room, so shower time is just shower time. It, it is continually a letdown, though trying to surprise you with something where you think you what? got where you think you <laughs> we're like you're expecting oh this is going to get Andy to react and nope. then but last night kind of had you oh for sure and the thing is I didn't know who it was but and so we're sitting here in Kalispell Dudley flew in last night surprised the hell out of me I had no idea you guys were coming Seems like it was kind of a group effort yeah. to put it together. Yeah, we did. Brian disappears, saying nothing at the end of the dinner table. And they're like, oh, yeah, he's going to get ice cream. And in the back of my head. It was, it was his cheat day. Well, it was, it was his cheat day. Yeah. I tell you. Okay. So my man goes big on his cheat days because we went to <laughs> breakfast that morning. And he was asking. That about, was part of the play, too. He said he knew he had to tee it up. No, don't listen to him. He's so full of shit. <laughs> he wanted a cheat day because in the days before this, he's like, have you ever tried keto? Have you ever heard of the keto flu? My head hurts. So he was either the most invested long-term strategy or yep. he just realized that you know those would tie in. So we, we're at breakfast and he's asking a lady about their, um, what the hell, biscuits and gravy. She's like, yeah, you know, we have one biscuit and we cut it in half and He's like, I'll take four biscuits <laughs> smothered in gravy. So they bring out a horse Dude. trough of four massive biscuits, of which he mows three and a half. I go to his house later in the day because I was going to do – was that the same day? Yeah, I was, I was linking up with Nelson. He was and on you shift. you to wake him up. No, he was awake. He was <laughs> in the garage tinkering. He's like a little elf. He's always in the garage tinkering because I was going to do a ride-along with Nelson, which they shut down because apparently you can't have a passenger with – 
COVID, and he had gone through an entire trough of Krispy Kremes. So he went from biscuits and gravy. Uh, Erica said she did four of those donuts, so that leaves the other six to eight for him, and he was just bop down his face. So when when they were saying he... We went to go get ice cream. I was like, fuck, man, this guy likes a cheat day. And then <laughs> yeah. back then, I'm like, where is he going to get this ice cream, though? Because it was almost 10 o'clock. So he's on the, the Rock Johnson cheat day. Where he's you- on the go big, sleep probably like a baby last night and wake up feeling like garbage. Yeah, I was going to say, it's going to take two days just to get back into the rhythm. But you get, yeah, you guys surprised me for sure. I heard him pull up and I saw more mo- – I was facing away from you. But the reflection was going right back that way, and I saw your black jacket and somebody who was smaller. I'm like, that okay, there's more people with him. But yeah, you got, yeah, you actually were able to get up to me before I realized. I noticed that too. When he walked in, I seen I seen you facing away, and I thought, oh baby, I might be able to get him. And well, very different. um, I had very different thought process because. Two years ago, I know what I what I would have done coming over the back of you, but this time I'm like, he's gonna like break something if I like do something now because he's gonna he's gonna assume someone from the gyms like tackling him and we're gonna end up rolling. So I was kind of like, maybe if I just went with like the shoulder massage <laughs> instead of like coming over and like trying to throw a choke that I don't know how to do on you. That would um, been sweet though. Yeah, and then <laughs> for me, and then I I saw you. I knew I had your back. Neck was exposed, which was good. But then, and I was using him as my blocker. And then I seen him step to the side, and I could see my reflection in the in that glass pane that was on the other side of the room. And I'm like, damn it! Now he knows. I'm like I didn't turn around to see who it was. Yeah. I just knew he wasn't by himself. I seen your like radar goes up. You know, like when you're behind your dog that's on the ground. And you're trying to sneak up to them, and you can kind of see their ears just barely move to where they know something's back there, but they just <laughs> have made the decision not to turn around yet. That's what you had done, and I thought, okay. So, yeah, you turned around, and, you know, your eyes were a little watery. I know. Everybody was like, you weren't surprised. I'm like, that was my surprise reaction. <laughs> <laughs> You've been around me enough. I don't. I'm not super high or low. I'm kind of just... Yeah, you're just riding it out. I'm just kind of baseline most days. But that was cool. Yeah, we've, that was awesome. We can't um, thank you guys enough for coming out. It was fucking amazing. Took us two days to get here. I mean, we sat on the tarmac long enough to miss the next flight. So then we ended up having to go back home a day ago. Which what, is the move, though. It's it what, was. We were the talking move. last night. Yeah. You don't want to get stuck. For people listening who don't travel much, if you are ever presented with the opportunity to miss a connection in Denver and stay overnight, or just rebook, rebook. because yeah. the probably closest airport to the Denver airport is 45 minutes. It's not easy to get to the shuttles. It's rebook, go home the next day or go back the next day yeah. and repeat. That's not the place where I would stay overnight. But we, yeah, we waited a day and then came in and yeah, we're able to surprise you guys. And then today I had just a cool, this was like a super low vibe day for both of us. All of us. Yeah. We were like, I've, it's pretty rare. You just, wake up whenever i almost never have time to just chill and ease my way into it it's one of the nicest things about it actually is just to be able to relax yeah like we snowboard or we don't i don't care (laughs) which we'll do tomorrow i think yeah tomorrow will be the better day so that'll be interesting i think that question's in here too let's move on so this was a good question 
uh, Randy T21 said, let's hear about the best lessons Dudley's taught Andy in regards to archery and stalking. That's a pretty good question. Yeah. Because I always wondered that just based on like your background, my back, like when you and I first hunted the first time together, I was, I was, I almost felt like I'm going to be doing a bunch of shit wrong where you're going to be thinking like, Hey dude. No. Uh, uh, yeah, so maybe we can go backwards and talk stalking first and then archery. So the stalking that I did in the military, um, what's the name of the movie where – is it Clear and Present Danger where the guy is like, he had lunch here, sir, double cheeseburger. <laughs> yeah. That's the type of stalking. So And so when you go to sniper school, it's – you start at 1,500 yards to 1,000 yards out, and it's actually a lot – that movie um, – makes things look a lot cooler than it actually is. There are people sitting at a table with binoculars. Yeah. But it's really small micro movements because you're trying to defeat human eyes looking through optics. So it's a lot of straight forward and back. Mm -hmm. You don't want to move side to side. You learn the difference between, you know, cover and concealment. And then dead space is the biggest one. Yeah. Because you can crawl 1,500 yards. You got to get, I think, to within 200 yards to 180 to take your blank shots. Mm -hmm. You can crawl that if you want. The instructors don't care. You're not going to be able to walk the next day. How do I know this? Because I did it. (laughs) And also, attached to your foot is a drag bag with your rifle in it. So as you're just like, then you got to do this move with your foot, like, so you're doing- Oblique. Oh, I remember waking (laughs) up the next day and just like, oh God, and you're doing two stocks a day. So they separated uh, sniper school into the shooting phase. Where all you do is shoot, and then you go out. I went out to Nyland, and all you do is stalk in high desert, which is a bitch. You know, tumbleweeds and sagebrush, and not yeah. a lot of color differentiation. So yeah, the first few days, I crawled a lot, yeah. and then I remember specifically, I was in the middle of probably a an eight hundred yard crawl, and uh, sweating <laughs> profusely because the sun was beating down on me, and about three feet to my right, a good friend of mine had his drag bag shouldered. And was just walking. And I'm sitting there looking at him, waiting for the radio to kick off. Because it's almost like that video where they have walkers yeah. with radios. And they're yeah. like, left. Because they'll try to, they want to put the antenna or the base of the radio. You ta- If you get to a place where you take a shot, you'll take your first shot and a walker will move to within 10 yards. Yeah. Maybe he's in front of you, though, or behind you, or left and right. And they'll use the radio to try to locate you. And then okay. they'll have you reload and take another shot. Um, And I think if you can get to that, it was an eight. And if they can't see you after that, it's a 10. So it's a mathematical thing. So on the the radio, though, you hear them like, freeze. And like, God damn it, I hope they're not looking at me. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Um, So I'm just sitting there. Look, I could hear the crunching of the rocks. And I'm looking out of the corner of my eye. And he's just (laughs) just walking. I'm like, what the fuck? And he goes past me, and I'm just waiting for the freeze. Nothing. And so... I crawled over to where he was and just started sitting up a little bit. And there was a massive tree yeah, directly in between the table. You could see like both ends of the table Yep. and then the huge tree trunk. And then, then after that, instead of my tactic before that was full back dive. As soon as they said, go, I would start trying to make movement. I totally changed it to locate the table, Yep. locate the dead space in between the table and where I want to shoot from and then walk. And then navigate. Because yeah. I wanted to be the guy who was walking past the person as opposed to the dude laying on the ground 
suffering in every aspect of life, mentally, physically. I wanted to be the guy who's just like laughing as you're walking by. I always wondered the instructors, obviously they know there's probably three or four weaknesses that like is where the best approach would happen. Mm -hmm. I always wondered, are they, are they more focused there because they know like, okay, this is where people. If you're doing the right thing, they will give you a little bit of latitude. Like mm -hmm. if you're moving at them, because there are times where you'd get to 200. I remember this happened to me a few times. You get like just outside, maybe 20 or 30 yards farther away than you have to be to get into that window. And you know that your last concealment would be this big bush. And there's ways you can deal with that. And obviously under the binos, they're, they're ranging. They know where you're yeah. probably going to come from. But you could gather foliage from the back of the bush and make a fan on the front of your rifle in your in your ghillie suit, and then slowly work your way to the front of that bush mm -hmm. and move towards them. Because under optics, it's still just going to look like the bush. Yeah, They're going to see that. But if they see you doing that and it's the right thing, they're going to give you some latitude. Yeah. If you're just moving left or right or you have shitty you know, camouflage, they're going to bust you on the spot. And the so walkers, they may have certain things where they're like, if they're doing the protocols they need to do, yep. we're letting them do it because – most likely their target isn't going to be glazing at this tree because they know that's where everything's coming from type thing. Correct. And it's a school. They okay. do want you to learn. Yeah. If you stand up and walk laterally and you're in, which don't get me wrong, I did this too, <laughs> because you can lose track of your dead space as well. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I'm going to just walk over that tree. And then you're just walking and you're like, oh, hey guys, <laughs> you guys good? You guys looking at me under the binos? Okay, cool. I'm just going to go get back to the truck because uh, this is zero. <laughs> there were people who would stalk past the table. It was awesome. People would go by No, it? they'd get in ravines. Oh. And they would start making movement. And you'd see it. Like, so the table is here. And there are two guys facing you. Yeah. And you'd be like farther back getting ready to set up your shot. And like over here, you'd see a head pop up. <laughs> but they're looking this way. And you can just see the back of the guy's head with his binos. He's just like, hmm. <laughs> Where did the table there was go? A, there was a tape. And, then, hmm. and they're just, you can just see him scanning left and right. And then eventually it gets faster. They're just like, fuck. And then usually. Have you ever seen one turn around, look back? Usually that's what happens. They'll put just, the binos down and you can just kind of see him like, and their head comes down and just defeat. And they start turning around, and a lot of the times the guys at the table are like, hey, what's up? You know, head back to the truck. Like, <laughs> so that's the stalking that I did. That shit is not really applicable to hunting. What I learned in that school, well, I, well, some of it is. You tell me if I'm wrong when it comes to, you know, big game hunting. To me, it's a more about when you can move or knowing when you can move and when you can't. Mm -hmm. Because if you Yeah, for sure. You and I have had some animals come in very close, and if you stand still, they may know you're there, but they're not going to spook off. But if, if you move, you're Foxville. Well, our camo is definitely made a huge – like subalpine is crazy. Because Craziest I, animal I, interactions I ever had were with that. Yeah. Watching at, at a distance. I give credit yeah. to Hex too for – I mean, I do give credit to that system. But when it comes to like visual, there's times where – you can tell if someone's looking at you or something's looking past you. Yes. And we've had a lot of things where we've both froze gloves, full mask. I mean, it's more or less just our eyes. And 
I've been looking at this, you know, whether it's a pig or a bear or whatever, thinking like, okay, well, that thing is not looking at it. It heard something, and it's looking over here, but it does not know what we are. You can almost uh, watch, and I had it a few times happen with elk at, at the Dez, where they're looking at me, and you can almost watch the focus of their eye mm-hmm. shift, where yeah. they're now looking, and I'm just sitting there like, I'm not here. Yeah. I'm not here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I would say to the person who asked that question, when it came to- and I'll still I'll answer the archery portion. When it came to the animals, so all I might have all the stalking experience in the world on the military side of the house. I had never been around an elk or a mule deer. So it was more, and I'm sure you remember me asking you a bunch about this. You know, like what are elk keying off? Is their smell more important or is their sight more important or yep. their hearing? So trying to figure out what their strength is. So that is the huge deficit I had. I understood camouflage. Yeah. Terrain study and dead space, which all that stuff still works on the animals, but I had no idea what spooks an elk. I mean, their nose is massive, but if yeah, but I don't know if their vision sucks. And you've had decades of experience around the animals, so that is what I learned the most. And then on the archery side, I mean, it, people. I mean, if there's one thing I could recommend, it's just have a system. And from the first day that you started teaching me how to shoot, it was the feet up. From here's how you have your feet. Here's yep. how you hold the bow. Here's how you raise it up. Pull it back, anchor, align your sight, let it float, and pull through the shot. And yeah. I and I just try to do that whether I'm shooting at a film target or an animal walks out. Yeah, because it takes. I don't have to think about. I mean, there's a difference, right, between a shooting at a 3D elk and then a forest <laughs> beast that just finished kicking the shit out of everything in a five mile radius, yep. screaming at you. If you think, if you're, for me, if I start thinking about how like killer that animal looks or how excited I am, I'm probably gonna mess up the shot. So yeah. what I focus on is feet, grip, bring it up, pull, anchor. And I just, that all I focus on is the system and I try to just let go of everything else because all I can control is the system. So that's the biggest thing archery wise. Did you do that like on the military side too when you were sniping? Were you really focused on a, a certain, I mean, I would assume yes because I know the the times where you've talked to me a little bit about, you know, we, we did some long range shooting mm-hmm. stuff and you, you worked with me. And so you were, I mean, really adamant about like getting my feet out the right way and pushing down on them to where you knew I wasn't like kind of centralizing pressure. I was like equally distributing everything. And then just like the bicep squeeze, like I don't remember the steps of that stuff that we were going through, but did you have a very systematic protocol for that, for like making those shots to where that was helping your conscious stay occupied enough to where you were able to, you know, to make, make that shot without having to think about, you know, um, I don't know the, the after effect of what if this shot lands where it should, what if it mm-hmm. doesn't? Cause I mean, you were, if you were going through that system, obviously you were occupying the mind to where you weren't letting some of that other stuff factor in. Well, I tried to teach, you the long range shooting stuff with the same vernacular that you taught me archery. So okay. that way we have a you know the similar common ground. Common ground, but again, so you know, I had you line up directly behind the rifle and then lay down as opposed to having the rifle canted at a side or your spine canted at a side. Because so there was a technique you'd use that I wasn't really qualified for. I mm-hmm. don't know if you remember it. Yeah, but I can do a lot of advanced shooting techniques. You're talking about the Western foot technique. Yeah, yeah. The, the kick out to the side, layover technique. It takes years. It takes years. <laughs> but it starts with you know laying down behind the rifle, and you got to get rid of 
places of tension. Instead of having, you know, being a rigid body, you want to get relaxed. You want it all based off a of structure. Once you get into that good structure, I mean, it's, you talk about all the time, the surprise break. Yeah. Not like, oh my God, I can't believe the gun just fired. Meaning that you accept a hovering of your sight because yep. the farther away a shot is on a long range rifle, you should expect that your crosshair is reticle. It's going to move. At 100 yards, it's, you can hold it in like a little tiny section, but the farther the shot gets away, the more it's going to move. And the more you try to control that, the worse it's going to be. So you have to accept the float, and then you have to control. What I thought about most, the approach that I went through, and my old job was controlling my breathing, getting that yeah. foundation behind the rifle so everything was mechanically in order, and then I would just control my breathing, accept the float, and then the last and most important thing on long-range marksmanship is the surprise break. Just pulling through the shot not, I mean the anticipation is just it's so incredibly apparent driving shots down into the left and is uh, that the most common when people are especially with pistol right-handed oh, okay. shooters because they'll see they line up their sights and they're right-handed so they're right-hand dominant and they, and they just want it to go off right there because their sights on the target and they push it down into the right as they're driving the gun oh, okay. or down into the left sorry that's okay. the most common sign of anticipation shooting yeah I, I feel like my background or what I did to overcome target anticipation in archery, I feel like when I got instruction from you on the rifle side or um, Evan on the handgun side, I feel like it was so easy. It, it almost seems like... A lot of if, parallels. If people learned archery... Like if people did a year of unanticipated shot breaks with archery and then went into a firearm, I wonder if that would be a better way to do it for longevity of someone being a, a super legit like firearm person. I don't know because I've heard you talk about this in your archery career where you've gone through phases of having target panic. Mm -hmm. The same thing happens on the gun side of the house. And one of the best ways to expose it is to put uh, dummy rounds yeah. in your magazines because you will learn to compensate for poor technique. Yeah. God, I guess I keep hitting low and left. So, all right, I'm just going to aim up and to the right. And then you get that dummy round in there and you're like, C click. You're like, oh, <laughs> yeah, that never happens. It's like, ah, uh, it's actually happening every time you're yeah. compensating. And I've had times where I'm like that behind a gun where you're sitting there and you can feel yourself tensing up. You're like, oh, I want it. And it, you have to consistently break through that. I'd say if you could master it on either archery or pistol or rifle, the, there would be an overlay back and forth between the two. It seems like it would be a lot harder to avoid getting that at some point with a firearm just because, especially when it comes to like your speed drills. I mean, like I have tons of patience on archery shots because, you know, I'm not, it's not like my bow is reloading itself yeah. to where, you know, and maybe if a bow was one, you know, maybe if I had one of those bows that was just like shot, 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 you know, where you started like going through a, a course and like see if I can take out 15 hogs before the pack gets out of there type thing. <laughs> you would, I'm sure you would develop it. So it's hard, I think, with like any type of semi-auto where you have a shot instantly at the ready by the time you've relaxed your finger off the trigger yeah it would probably be a lot easier to start that anticipation well it's easier to start at closer distances yeah because if you're shooting 10 to 15 yards i mean quite frankly you can get away with a lot mm -hmm. but if you add a zero to that 
people come unwound like well, why can't i hit it and, and all it really is and i'm sure the same is true in archery all it really is is that distance is just magnifying the errors that you had up close yep you can just get away with more up close and here's one thing people ask me a lot too they're like well how steady are you holding yeah, and, you know, is, is your one. is your pin and, and here's the thing i'm by no means a sharpshooter with a bow but i've been standing with you when you're taking some long shots and I would say they're not generally by choice. That's the shot that presented itself. Yeah. But I'll watch your stabilizer or I'll watch the tip of your arrow. And I, I think that people feel like that yours doesn't move. Oh, yeah. And it does. Yeah. It's And sometimes it moves. I'm not going to say drastically because I'm not looking through the peep, but it's not. It's anything but stable. <laughs> yeah. I'm and not I, a rock. Nobody is. Yeah. And if you can get past that, mm-hmm. it's amazing if you can focus on that surprise release. I've had some rifle shots where I'm like, oh god, I definitely missed that. <laughs> but it's it's like it the you're because you had such good mechanics, it's like you willed the round on target. Mm-hmm. Or even with archery too, where it's it floating, I'm like, I don't really feel like that released when it was uh, where it was supposed to go. And then it's an amazing shot, and it's, I mean, I don't know how or why that is. Maybe that's the subconscious. I feel but- like the subconscious has a lag. Like I feel like you know your visual picture versus what the subconscious is doing i feel like there's a slight lag in like you know internet buffering there yeah to where your subconscious has realized like what where that pin is going and is already making the corrections to bring it back but your visual is still seeing that movement going to the maximum off and then just starting to see it maybe come back but visually, you're seeing something that's behind what the subconscious has already done. So, like, e- even though you feel like you're off, if you're trusting that float and then just being dynamic, it seems like your subconscious has already, like, brought it back to where you really visually haven't seen it yet when that shot breaks. It's almost uncanny how it it goes where you want it to go. For me, the easiest way to miss is to try really hard to hold my pin as steady as possible. Yeah. And then I also like to pack the shoulder and hold my breath. That works too. <laughs> yeah. That, well, <laughs> I learned that from Evan. Uh, yeah, Evan Evan <laughs> has mastered that technique. And in fact, I'm I'm trying to get lessons with Evan to like work on, you know, my breath hold and shoulder pack, but he is booked out right now. He is. I mean, it's hard to get in for that. It is, but his breath hold is, I would say, legends have been told. I, I'm we surprised into, he hasn't te- transitioned into spear fishing yet with like that breath hold he's got. I don't think he wants to be a disruption in that field. I mean, he, he probably could go right to the top day one. <laughs> yeah, or the bot, like to the bottoms, technically, Pun as low as he wants to go, <laughs> just with that breath hold. That pin one's a. Uh, people ask me all the time though about. He's like, well, how does Dudley hit those shots? How does he hold it so still? And, and I, I can't do it justice unless you've seen it. Like it's not, it's not that. It's that everything behind that movement is happening correctly. I feel like you get to the point where you actually don't care enough to where, honestly, I don't care if I miss. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be way more critical on myself if I know I make a shitty shot right now. Like if I make a shitty shot. I'm going to... And by shitty shot, you're talking about mechanics. Yeah, mechanically. Not result of the actual... Yeah, error. mechanically, if I make a shot where I know I didn't execute a protocol, I'll probably wake up thinking about that and I would kind of let that fester on me versus if I made a good shot and it missed, it's like, okay, that's sometimes where the cards fall, yep. you know? But I'm like good with it because I did 
I, I exercise the protocol that I have to do to be at my best the highest majority of the time. You know what I mean? I think one of the things that is a separator between firearm mechanics and archery is like with and I saw this a little bit when I competed because I did have magnification on my scope, you know, when I shot like s- spots. But Which on Which is a, amazing that you guys could jam that into the peep. Well, it's in the front sight. Yeah, the, oh yeah. Yeah, it'd be on the front sight. Maybe I was calling the but front the, sight the peep. You don't know. Maybe, yeah, I don't know what you're calling anything. <laughs> <laughs> but I like the most power I ever shot was an 8 power in my front scope. But on a rifle, obviously, you know, you have one that's 18, 20. 30. So, yeah. You know. Well, I've never seen that one, but. That's what I have on my rifles is a 5 to 30 variable. But you just, you really, you everything you're doing incorrectly is magnified visually right now to where you're seeing it. Whereas with archery, when people wonder about their long range accuracy, because you're not looking through a magnifying glass, you almost have to realize that your mistakes, like you said, are kind of a fan to where the further you're going, the more those mistakes will become apparent and become magnified the further out you're going. And at that point, the the nuances of technique, you know, are just that's one of the things that's really hard to coach when people are just asking me help, like shooting me a text, you know, saying this or that. There's certainly certain things where I know these are going to be common things that would cause that type of miss. But sometimes it's so minor, you know, yeah. it, it's so minor. And the mistake I will see people make on the rifle side of the house, and maybe you see this on the archery side of the house, is that they'll want to work on those mistakes at extreme distance as opposed to working on them close up. Mm-hmm. So they'll want to rain bomb after bomb after bomb after bomb, and they'll ignore what they should do is shoot at 10 or 20 yards and really just hammer in those mechanics. Yeah. I'm a, I'm, I'm, like everybody s- wants to ring steel at a, a, at a mile. Like that's, a, so they're just like aiming for that. I'm like, but you can barely hit the side of a fucking barn at 100 yards. You know, if you really want to hit that target, let's bring it, let's dry fire yeah. for a couple of days and just yeah. work on your mechanics. And that's how they would actually get there faster. I tell people that a lot. My best years competing were years where I didn't have the time because my travel schedule was so just, I mean, it was constant that my only down days were pretty much days between landing from the previous tournament, having two or three days at home to like be at work and then picking up the bow case, which I had never even unpacked and just having my backpack with the clean clothes I needed. And I'm like off, but all I would do during those two or three days of downtime would just, I would always have my release and a string and just, I would be on the phone talking to customers and just executing shots, just like going through the motions of just, you know, the most basic principles. But I feel like I was at my sharpest when when I really wasn't worried about like, I, I don't know, I feel like there's such a valuable thing to not like cracking your self image by having bad practice days at long distances and and long distance is a magnifier of not only your technique but also a massive magnifier of your knowledge of your equipment because as soon as you bring you know mother nature into this whole realm then 
now you you have to be a mathematician. You have to be in full understanding of the ballistics of whatever you know, whatever type of projectile you're putting through the air, and then how every single one of those conditions are going to affect it at every single distance, you know, and angle. Yeah. And then factoring (laughs) angles, it's really easy to have a terrible practice day in archery at a long distance. I shouldn't say terrible, but frustrating. Yeah. If I'm going to practice long distance anymore at archery, like I practice my longer distances, first 40 minutes of daylight last 40 minutes when the conditions are the most in my favor to where I can actually have a very good gauge of my technique without having outside variables that in some way or another are going to factor into a self-image to where it'll create a doubt. And then all of a sudden I'll be like, man, maybe I can't shoot this release as good as I can shoot that one. Or I swear this arrow doesn't group as better as that one. And then you change and now you're spending two or three days, you know, if you're 14 days out from a hunt, you're going to spend two or three days trying this other arrow or this other broadhead just because, I don't know, maybe that one will shoot. And then now you've lost three days. There's nothing better than going into a hunt, though, with just low confidence in yourself (laughs) and in your gear. As you're pulling back in your head, you're just like, maybe, boink. (laughs) And you've had some of the worst. Like, I don't know. I just hand you my bow now. I'm like, Dudley, here, because I don't know how many screws have come off. The Is peep- there like a paint shaker at TSA here in Kalispell? I mean, come on. The last Alberta trip we did, the peep flew out. Yeah. And the one, let's see. God, there was one where the uh, the tongue of the rest was like loose and then one of the main screw. It was, I've had, I don't know. I don't know what's going on, but I just hand you my bow. Now I'm like, can you just double check to make sure this is working? Well, part of it was, part of it was that truck you're rolling around in with. The Black Ops? It, no, the 37s. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jordan's 37s. No, had, The wheels haven't been balanced or rotated in that thing in like no. five years. It, that didn't help for that sure. shook your teeth out. The vibration involved in those rides. I mean, I will say as the faster he went, they decreased, but some of those roads don't <laughs> allow for it. Yeah, you're sitting there just getting a chiropractic adjustment. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I've, I've had some experiences where I'm just – want to basically tomahawk my bow at the animal as opposed to have no faith in pulling it back. Well, this next question actually feeds in. um, And this is, uh, the question is, I recently purchased Silverback Plus, which is a tension activated release. um, And he said, I love it under 40 yards, but beyond that, I'm having problems with my anchor point and my shots breaking. It seems like it's just taking way longer to break. Can you talk? Can you and Andy talk about this? Um, and if he's had the same experience, I think I already know what you're going to say on this. Like it feeds into what we just talked about. So, like I said about what I've learned from archery from you is, as part of that sequence of building my shot from the ground up, if it's a hundred yards or ten yards, it should break in about the same amount of time. Yep. Because what you're doing, 
past 40, let me tell you, because I'm a master at this if I don't pay attention, what you're doing is you're holding your breath. <laughs> and as you think you're pulling back, what's happening is if you watch the arrowhead, it's creeping forward. Yep. So you're not actually, yeah. and I've been there because I felt it myself yep. and your shoulders just like a little bit pack and pack. I've videoed you yeah. t- before too, or, you know, you put, you take your phone and you just video someone's arrow as it's sitting on that rest. And instead of it continually pulling back, you know, as they're built, supposed to be building tension, you're actually collapsing because you're just over-aiming. But they will swear to you that they're pulling. They feel like they're pulling the bow yes. in half, but the arrow's just like going. It's just the whole system's just collapsing. You're on the you're executing the Hafer method, <laughs> so you're actually packing your shoulder. And I, I'm telling you, it. I know exactly what you're talking about. It. I. Once the so I love the silverback. First time I ever went hunting with you was a silverback. Mm-hmm. I'd say eighty percent of the shots I take with a bow are with the silverback. I like the knock to it to hunt because I can positively secure it to the D ring, but I utilize the same you know back tension. I do know some people, and I've asked you about this, so I see them physically just firing it as a thumb release. Which I mean that is what it has, but yeah, I'll wrap my thumb and pull through it. But yeah, it's. <laughs> That you know, the farther out, it's again the float. You're like, ah, shit, not yet, not yet, not yet. And then you're not breathing, so your visual acuity is going down, your tactile sensation is going down. You feel like you're pulling, and then if you're like me, what I just do, just close your eyes a little bit, and in your head, just say, fuck it, and rip it as hard <laughs> as you can, and see where it goes. <laughs> yeah, I remember the first time we worked together. Yeah, at your house. Yeah, you came over uh, following the CrossFit Games. And, um, I remember like really quick we got, well, we were trying to just get the sight tape for your bow and we got, you know, we got dialed, you know, you're shooting really good at 20, you shot really good at 60. And then I put a sight tape on there and I shot a few to hundred and then I just said, okay, just, you know, do this same exact thing. And I just said, you know, I want your cadence the same. And because you had literally never shot a hundred yards with a bow you were only doing technique and you honestly you didn't even know where the arrows were going to go like those first ones i didn't even know i didn't even know where to aim on that elk target i'm like oh okay cool hit the elk yeah i'm like just (laughs) you know just aim aim right at that other lighted knock and so you were shooting and i remember that first night i was just i was thinking damn this is like andy's gonna be beating my ass in practice (laughs) And and i thought well i mean it goes hand in hand with like what you did before, you know, because you were, you were so systematic with the shot process that at that time, because you didn't have expectation, you were only following protocol. And I feel like you shot better. And then once you went home, Oh, I started overthinking it. Yeah. You trained by yourself for a while. And then when we met up again, that next time was, I think in Alberta and we were kind of practicing and I just I remember telling you it was the same subject. I'm like, hey, dude, you know, you shot so awesome before because you were not letting the distance or what you were seeing in your sight picture change what you were doing at the line or behind the line. So um, this past week, I actually put a video out um, as extra credit to this year's School of Knock that was called Trusting Your Float, and it was more or less just an exercise of drawing your bow back at a bigger bullseye, drawing your bow back and not having your finger on the sa- or on the trigger at all. And just for 10 seconds, just 
doing your best to to aim within the center or just allowing your natural float happen, but mentally kind of record what that pin was looking like on that target. And then what I did was I had a, a big target next to me where I took a Sharpie marker and I drew like on a bigger target, this is more or less how my pin float looked. You oh, know, yeah. I kind of went, maybe on I kinda, yeah, I kind of went like left and right for quite a bit, but the long, obviously 10 seconds is long for me personally to, to be in a, sh- like where my finger would be acquired to a trigger. And I'm still like, and in my appointment, I would be engaging on the trigger 10 seconds of engagement would be a long time. So by then I'm kind of oxygen depleted. Yeah. So like towards the end of that, I bobbled down, but I came back up, you know, and then I did it again. And I, same thing. I had a lot of kind of horizontal, which I, I'm cool with. And then I kind of went up and down and back up one more time towards the end. But what I showed people by drawing what that natural subconscious movement was what you see is the amount of times your lines are intersecting within the inner third of that scoring. I mean, it is, it's like 60 to 70% more time you're within the 30% center versus those few times where you're outside, where you're, you know, in my opinion, I feel like the subconscious is wanting confirmation of the center of that spot and it it your subconscious lets that movement happen so it can still see what's back there. And so the more I embrace that and just if I'm making a longer shot or if if a target is close but moving like if it's a walking deer or a walking elk, you know, granted I have uh, I have a certain range where I'm not, I'm going to be like, I'm not going to shoot a, a walking deer at, you know, 35 yards or whatever. But if it's close and I know I've got a one second down hit where, you know, this isn't going to be nine inches where I'm having to hold off, you know, I'll actually tell myself overcommit to this shot. You know, even if, and on a longer shot, it would be the same thing. I'm almost trying to not over aim. I'm trying to over pull. I'm trying to, you know, have over the amount of tension activation that I would need in the wind. It's the same thing. It's like, I give it a little bit more gas because I don't, I don't want to be there long enough to where I'm seeing all the extra movement. If I feel like all of my protocols have been put in place of my shot routine at that point, when my pin's on the target, I know there's going to be some movement. I'm I'm kind of pushing on the gas pedal a little bit more at those longer distances. Then I'll probably aim longer at the shorter distances because I also know if I am in there too long, I also can make more of a mistake and miss less at 20 yeah. than doing that same thing at 80 or 100. I haven't found any benefit to holding for longer and i will say that i think uh archery precision shooting is harder than rifle the biggest reason is you're under tension when you're with a bow oh yeah i mean just go i mean obviously knock an arrow and don't shoot it through your buddy's uh door jim miller but (laughs) pull back and just see how long you can hold that thing maximal before you have to let it down you're gonna do better at holding your sight stable at the beginning first few seconds of that 
You know, I mean, how, nobody can hold that under tension for an incredibly long period of time. At a rifle, you're laying on the ground. Yeah. So it's, I mean, I, I'm i not a fan of being, you know, at full draw for a long period of time. Actually, when I, when I have been, and I'm talking 30 seconds or more, I'll actually intentionally not look through the sights because I don't want to mm-hmm. see that movement. I'll wait until the shot presents. I'll be at full draw, but I'm kind of looking just past it. I just mm-hmm. want to sit there. Because if I start to see it in my head, I'm like, oh, shit, I'm getting tired. Are you getting tired? You're a little bitch. Hold it still. Why can't you hold it still? And then it's like, <laughs> it's semi-truck could walk out and I'm going to miss it. <laughs> but the tension is no so joke. It would be so awesome to have, like, if your eyes could record oh. what you're seeing and then to do a director's cut. <laughs> People could... would be like, how did you hit that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be so awesome. Yeah, that would be really fun. I do the same thing because there's times with archery because you're having to pull back and because and wait. Yeah, and, wait. and because you're dealing with a target that movement is like the the biggest thing they see instantly. Sometimes you have to pull back long before you know your shot window or your shot opportunities there, and you're having to wait for that. And yeah, normally I draw back. And I, you know, I'm secure with my anchor position, but I'm kind of just watching until I can see that moment start to approach. And then it's as opposed to trying to hold it on a blade of grass. Yeah. Then it's like, (laughs) then it's like peep acquisition, you know, front sight, rear sight, level the bow and get acquire the target. Yeah. And then, then get it done for sure. All right. Let's see here. Go to the next question. Uh, Nick S. Tatum. Andy, all about Montana and why you decided to settle down there. I feel like you've answered this. I have. A Better million. than California. Oh, and best spots to visit? <laughs> I would say Whitefish, Missoula, Bozeman would be your – and not necessarily in that order, but those are the most recognizable. Big Sky is cool. Yeah, it's Bozeman. Just south of Bozeman. Okay. And then uh, how do you like your PSE? I like it. It's the hold off is much different than the Hoyt I was shooting the year before. It was startling to me. The let off. The let off. Yeah. Hold off. I, I mean, I use hold off. I use the professional terms <laughs> as an expert in Bowieology. So, <laughs> yeah, it's different. Um, How much hold off does your bow have? Well, I pull my my poundage is one thirty five for the initial pull, and I only wanted a one percent hold off, so I'm holding one thirty four just to really sculpt the delts. But <laughs> it's just it's different. I mean, every bow that I've shot has felt different. I That one, and I don't know if this is a good or a bad thing, but it feels more dead in the hand when it goes off. Yeah. That was the biggest. It was uh, quieter, and it just it was just kind of like thunk, and it was – and the draw, the actual draw itself. Yeah. I'm not an ex oh, – fuck. I mean, I know what cams are. I don't know how they work. Yeah. You know, but it felt substantially different, and I like it a lot. Yeah. Yeah, The for archery, you really have to like – pull something back and let an arrow go to to understand a difference between them yeah. obviously you can pick them up and be like oh this carbon one's light oh this aluminum one's heavier um or this one's like you know more compact this one's bigger but you kind of need to pull it back at the poundage that you're shooting and also like have them adjust it to a draw length that you're shooting and then did you see the video of brian callen shooting a bow yeah did you see how far off his nose that peep was? Oh, yeah. It, uh, I, I might, I don't know. Actually, I think I did highlight him on Tactical Asshole. Oh, you did. <laughs> I 
Yeah, I, Sharon's like, oh my God, Andy is roasting this guy. She's like, you'll she see what he's calling him. And then I like looked over and I'm like, oh, that's Brian. <laughs> I'm like, he must have sent Andy a video of himself no, he shooting. He posted that on his Instagram. And all actually, all I wanted to see was that scarf just wrap around the string just Dude. a little bit. <laughs> Dude, that could be seriously brutal. Catastrophic. I've, yeah, I've seen some horrid like that's one thing a compound bow at like a frat party is not cool you know it it's like it's not a lot different than taking like a bear trap you know i've been at i've been at hunting camp many times where you know people are you know getting halfway through the bourbon bottle (laughs) and then someone just like Hey man, let me check out your I bow. Can, yeah, I can set that up, you know. Oh, it's got awesome hold off. Let me feel this. Oh, dude, that's nothing. And then <laughs> I I mean, I've I've seen some terrible accidents. Um yeah. and be safe people. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah. Safety first, third, third. then teamwork, according St- to Dusty. Stick the trick, stick the shot, safety third. Okay. Uh and has Andy tried to make you the little spoon? We've never been in a survival situation. It's not physically possible. <laughs> I know. I I'm gonna always going to be the little spoon. <laughs> yep. It happened last night. People are like, holy shit, you're tall. I'm like, I told you people, he's a giant. <laughs> Nobody believes me how tall you are. And then my response is always the same. Yeah. Imagine walking behind him in the forest, assholes. <laughs> well, dude, you have a, like, you have dead space all the time. Yeah. I mean, it's. I th- I think it's a blessing. People underestimate how fast you move in the woods. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I've seen so. I've seen a few people that have that have. Every now and then, I'm. I've been behind someone where I'm like, how am I not keeping up? <laughs> like I can't stretch my legs any faster. You're and, at maximum gait distance. Yeah, maximum gait. Like without sacrificing audible. And yeah, there's been a few times where I'm like, okay, this is what it feels like being behind me, according to everyone else. Like, damn, dude, I can't keep up. Especially if you're in a felt onesie with rubber boots. Dude, I'm telling you right now, after, I mean, Caleb had, our buddy Caleb, uh, Copeland Creative, you know, if you need video work, awesome, awesome guys. But um, Caleb had a hellacious schedule. I mean, we we started in Utah at the same time, you know, mid-August. And then by the time we were back in Montana for my, like, I elk hunted a few times in Montana because the rut was really weird this year. I heard that it was late. I got zero days of elk hunting, so I don't know. Yeah, it. I mean, I think, I don't know if I killed on like it was, 15th or 16th day, but I mean. It was late. We worked for it. We yeah. worked for it. But there was also a lot of hunts in between that. But, man, it came down to the wire because I'm trying to think why, but something – oh, I had to go to Colorado uh, for a mule deer hunt, and so I was hunting Montana. I knew it was a day to get home, half a day to pack. I would prefer to have at least two days home so I can, like, check in with the family. But it was, like, coming down to the wire, and, I mean – the closer I got to the wire, the harder I was pushing and pushing. And dude, Caleb was destroyed. I mean, I can see that. I've hunted with Caleb quite a few times now. I can see him uh, being a little fatigued. Yeah, because I was I was hitting a whole new gear, 
I was hitting that gear of like, I don't care anymore. Yeah. And, and actually when I watched back, I proofed this, uh, hunt yesterday. And when I walked back on the night before my kill, I kind of like gave just like a little, you know, tonight, today was an awesome day, put on a ton of miles type talk, you know, which Caleb's always like, you know, tell everyone what happened today. And, you know, in my mind, I'm going like... Nothing, asshole. Yeah, I'm like, what the hell, dude? I mean, freaking 16 miles, bro. Haven't heard shit. Like, you know, <laughs> freaking two more miles back to the truck. Like, why am I going to, you know? But obviously, he knows at some point... The storytelling yeah, aspect. Yeah, the storytelling aspect. But, like, after I say it, and I'm, like, walking off technically into the sunset, like, I can tell by my walk that like that cyst in my knee and that freaking um what the hell is that uh thing in your foot i got that deal in my foot where you get that cramp um the your arch your arch it feels like a someone's hit the 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 heel of your foot with a ball ping hammer it's called um god everyone sissy else. foot <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's called sissy foot. <laughs> I forget what it's called, but um, it sounds atrocious. It was terrible. And then, oh, you were never with, so you never felt that. I got this um, this cyst in the back of my knee from. I was laying. I was. I had done a stalk, and I had to lay back onto my legs. From I was in oh, a, like underneath you. I was in a kneeling Ooh. position, and I and this muley like got up and repositioned and laid down to where he could hit see me so i was on a, a slope and i had to lay back so i ended up developing this big cyst in the back of my knee that dude it was like <laughs> it was when people touched it it like weirded them out i would have just found another muley it well <laughs> well hey that was the first week of september when when that happened and then my heel happened like mid-september and you could tell when I was walking away in that like second to last scene, <laughs> like I was, I wasn't limping, but you could tell it wasn't me just striding along like daddy long legs. We used to call it having your fun meter pegged. <laughs> yeah. My fun meter was pegged. Yeah. You've had enough for the day. Yeah. And, and I think that same day we were, we were getting after it after this elk and this sucker like we found him at sunlight, like right before sunlight and he was bugling. And it was like one of those deals where you would swear, why can I not see this thing? Like he was right there, but you could tell he was just going away from you. Cause then you'd hear it again. It'd be a little further. So you just pick up the pace and you'd get in there and then you'd kind of stop and not want to bump him. And then he'd bugle be like, he's right here. And then also the next bugle, he'd be like, you know, up there a little ways. So you would, you'd have to, you know, freaking get after it again. And we did that for freaking four hours, like on a, on Somebody like, who looks a lot like you once told me, don't ever try to keep up with elk on the hoof. <laughs> I tried, <laughs> I tried for like 15 days and yeah. And then we got to the point where these two bulls were just inside of this little timber piece and the bull we had followed the whole morning got to this other bull that had cows in there and there there was a hot cow in there and they were just raising hell and they were just inside this thick ass stuff to where you couldn't see them sometimes you could see legs 
But like we couldn't go in any closer because I couldn't get a shot. But I'm like, at some point they're gonna come out and mm -hmm. like we'll have a shot. So we just laid down and I remember like turning around and Caleb is just out, dude. <laughs> like full blown out. And and these elk are screaming. They're like screaming and he is just gone. He is gone. But yeah, that was um I don't know. I I I live for that though. I think that stuff right there is I don't know. Awesome. It's hard to it's hard to describe what that feels like though unless you've been in that close of proximity and experienced that. Well, what people don't realize is this goes back to so many things that you and I talk about or Rogan talks about or Jocko talks about. The things where it's hard are like I don't know if that's just in people. I would just, I don't know why it's not in everybody, but it's like I just remember that more. I like love oh, it sure. more. And I mean, it's always every time people ask you or I to tell a hunting story, we don't tell it's not it. an awesome one. Yeah. It's not like <laughs> it's not like, oh hey, yeah, we went, you know, hog hunting and just like went a hundred yards and there was four of them and Andy and I laid down, you know, four out of the five or whatever. It's always like, okay, this <laughs> this one time in France. <laughs> this one time <laughs> this really sucked. Yeah. And I don't know. I think if people if people looked for that in a hunt, I feel like I don't know, I feel like they would be more addicted to it too. Really, in, a, in I don't know in if anything. you even need to look for it in a hunt. I think you'll find that naturally if you try bow hunting. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> if that audio is up. There's like an elk screaming. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's gone. His his <laughs> field of fucks is just barren. Yeah, he's out of it. He is freaking <laughs> totally out of it. He was with me and filmed the uh, uh, black rifle hunt when I had the Utah yeah. bull that came yeah. in. He was hilarious. He right after he turned off the camera, he's like, "I'm gonna need a minute." That was a lot for me. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah, I I freaking love that guy. Yeah, it's hard to um it's hard to find someone that that you really love ha having with you in the times of highs and lows. And we talk about that a lot as as bow hunters or, you know, obviously it seems like all of you guys that were team guys, especially like, you know other team guys, but the team guys you've been with to where you went something that, like, got sketchy, it's like, that's just a solidifier. For it's sure. like, you know, that's like, you always have these two parts of epoxy that, you know, they're the same and, you know, they're they're cool. But it's like, when you, like, mix them together into... It hardens. Like, yeah, and something hard happens, yep. then it's like, it's real. Agreed. All right, so, obviously... I can't be the little spoon Andy is uh, to answer that question. Let's see. We got uh, who owns a skydiving helmet because that's what I wore in our picture. I do, but it was a gift from you. <laughs> it was. I have one too, but I didn't I didn't bring it. Um, let's see here. Had, did you see any that you liked? Did you see any? any uh, uh, I just briefly looked through it. I was going to let you pick and choose as you saw fit. Oh, yeah. Let's <laughs> Weirdest stories or what you've personally experienced yourself in the wilderness. What was one of the most unknown for you, like where you thought <clears throat> the first bear hunt that I went <laughs> on with you, which I don't know how much we're going to talk about that, but it was a combination between 
getting a little Western and very Vietnamish it uh, areas. Oh yeah. And, and well, now looking back, that was my first time ever hunting with a bow. First time ever hunting with you. And I remember we kind of we were had we just had an elk bugle? No, we were going to a place where we thought there were going to be some elk. And you were walking in front and you heard something. And it was those three bears just dick- still to this day I've never seen that in my life. Three bears three three boar off. three boars just like dicking off having a circle jerk. Yeah. In the middle of like this grass patch in the middle of in the middle of like five feet off of a road. I mean it was just straight well like an ATV path. Yeah, it was like an ATV path. And I remember you you were like, okay, you knocked an arrow and you were going to shoot one. And then you're like, what am I doing? I don't need to shoot any more black bears. Like, get up here. Do you want to shoot one? And so I knocked an arrow and basically just as I drew back, that thing bolted. I took a shot at it. And I remember you saying, hey, knock another arrow. He's coming back. And I don't, what what do you call it? Is it starting? Yeah. Yeah. So it was coming back and I didn't know what the distance was, but I'm like, I got a 20 yard pin. That looks like about 20. Doink, shoot it. And then. Everything that happened after that. <laughs> yeah, so the first, the first, they were like but, playing but now, around, yeah, and I, the bear, like one of the bears was starting, I said, the big one's coming out to the left, and I think he kind of just saw something or heard something and he started to run. Too. And you took like, kind of like, I don't know, maybe back in the old days, like he was on the move, legit on the move, but you just... I don't know if you knew you actually can let a bow down, and so you're just like well, I'm I did. Just, I'm the, just gonna, the way yeah. I wanted to. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I'm just gonna rip a shot. So you you <laughs> shot, and I thought like, okay, well this is over. Like everybody knows we're here now, and then I'm gonna say 15 seconds. I think later. because he was so surprised, I seen him stop, and I seen him like turn around, and do that thing where they kind of sway their head, like what was that? And I th- I go. I can't, I'm, I'm right over Andy's shoulder, like whispering in his ear. I'm like, reload. He doesn't know what that is, and he's curious. And then he kind of came back, like starting, because I think he kind of felt like I just ran out of here like a little bitch, <laughs> and I need to, I need to like come back and be like, Pick I, up ain't sca- man I ain't scared. Yeah. I ain't scared. So he came back, and I just told Andy, I'm like, pump that sucker right, right in the chest. And so my first ever actual archery shot on an animal was probably 16 s- yards dead on on a black bear straight in a, <laughs> straight in a big old chest and it's a big bear because that thing's hanging at the house right now i forgot yeah. how big it was and yeah he shot it like kind of coming in quartering two so it went through it was like one lung liver it was lethal for sure and it was a touch low my aiming point was a little bit low but lethal it was just an awesome shot and then he he freaking hauled hauled out of there and there's a ton of blood and like an obscene amount of blood yeah from like from for whatever reason i was i was thinking you know there's so much chaos like we can just track this thing we're good and he just went into this underbrush you know the, this like underbrush willow stuff to where it was it was just so thick and gnarly and jordan was not having it yeah jordan was not having it because he was like looking at it as there's three bears here one's injured i can't move more than one foot inside of this stuff we're crawling through i don't know where the other bears went he knows like andy's like andy's right behind me just kind of like 
oh, this is cool. I didn't know. <laughs> like, yeah, mind you, I'm on my first ever bear experience <laughs> ever. I Now looking back, it's like, oh, I had no idea how bad that could have gone. I just, I was just like, you were going into the bush. I'm like, I guess we go into the bush now. I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> Jordan's like ghost white, like if not green, just he, he was not. He did not. It. Yeah, he did not want to have any of that. And then when we got up to the, well, I came out of this thick stuff and I saw blood going up this big tree and I'm talking like if that phone you had wouldn't have crashed that blood was insane but there was 70 blood, 80 feet up a tree yeah corkscrewing just tons of blood and as soon as I like I was on my hands and knees I looked up and saw the blood going up the tree and then as I turned and like was looking as high as I could look in my mind I'm like this sucker is because I could see blood on the ground <laughs> like where my hands were and I was just envisualizing this thing being on a limb, like with his all of his teeth showing, just like ready to jump straight down on top of me. And I'm so dead. And I'm looking up and I'm like, this is going to be bad. This is going to be bad. This is going to be bad. And he's nowhere to be found in the tree. And I'm sitting there trying to figure that out. And I look on the other side of the tree and there's just this imprint in the ground, like where five, he had gone. Five to six inches deep, I yeah, would say. He yeah. Had, he had tried to go up this tree and then just freaking cannonballed from 30 yards up or whatever it, out of this thing. If it if it was, yeah, it was and 30 then, if it was one. Boom, just freaking cratered the ground. And then I could see where he'd crawled off. So I kind of just kept crawling. And then all of a sudden this freaking huge bear stands up and another huge bear stands up and they freaking end up running off and everyone's kind of like, holy crap, what's happening? And then those other two bears had already found Andy's and were eating it. They were eating their little buddy they were playing with like 20 The biggest before. buddy, truthfully. Yeah. The, the biggest buddy. And so, yeah, it was, um, it was one of those deals where then as I'm like, okay, well, you know, we were quite a ways back, too. I we mean, pretty deep. Four miles or maybe something. So it's like, okay, we're going to skin this out. We're going to have to quarter it. We're going to have to like get the quarters far enough away from here to where hopefully these bears just occupy themselves on the seal while we can like get trip one out and then get trip two out. And meanwhile, Jordan's sitting there with the, with his like Remington Chrome, Chrome 870 Express, <laughs> just ghost white. Like on a freaking swivel while kind of mumbling. I don't like bears. I don't like bears. I don't like bears. (laughs) I hate bears. I hate bears. And then Andy's just kind of sitting there, like, oh, okay, this is this is crazy. And you know, I I had an exposure point of one. I'm just like, this is bear hunting. I guess they're usually eating each other when you find them. They stand up. They run off. I was like, okay. And what was cool is um, this was a. It was actually a spot and stock only uh, bear unit. Uh, because in the springtime, there's like bear bait areas, but in the fall, there's if those allocations are all used, you can have a tag where in this unit, it's like normally within, you know, certain crown land and it can only be spot and stock. It can't be on bait. So then the next day, uh, the next morning, we go and we're like two miles from there, mm-hmm. I would guess. And we're... In the edge of this timber, there's an elk bugling, and we're hunting elk, but Andy has another bear tag. And meanwhile, 
Jordan was saying, I'm over elk or I'm over bears. Like, can we just, let's just focus on elk. Let's just focus on elk, you know? And he was still kind of worked up from the day before. So we go after elk, it's daylight, there's one bugling. And, and I kind of thought like, all right, this is going to work out. Andy and I are going to get inside of the, you know, quote unquote crown land, which is like public land, the bulls bugling in there. And because it was still like right at first light, a lot of the elk are out in these ag fields. So we decided to give Jordan an elk decoy and put him out That's in right. out in the this. wide open wheat field with this cow elk decoy. And we're like, you go out there and call. And Andy and I are just going to, as this elk is talking, we're going to intercept the elk coming to you. Because we were right on the fringe. We had, we had yeah. the beautiful line of sight for shooting anything that would have come out of that bush. Yeah, it was yeah. perfect. And... uh so Andy and I get all set up and we, and Jordan's hiding behind this, you know, decoy and I give him the thumbs up like, okay, start calling. And like, he starts calling and just from him cow calling, like we're kind of looking at Jordan and then all of a sudden on both sides of Jordan, like, <laughs> but it's kind of like what Andy was telling that story at the beginning with the, where the, this the sniper instructors are like looking one direction he was behind this decoy and the both of these bears were very close to him but split apart but in a in an exact position to where that decoy was not allowing him to see him so as soon as he called both of them stood up on their back legs and they're taller than me just <laughs> freaking looking around and here's like this lunch just right there and and like, and he can just keep calling. And he's looking at us, like giving us a thumbs up. And we're looking, thinking like, he doesn't know all those bears are there. <laughs> there's two bears. So then, you know, it kind of went on long enough to where the bears realized, okay, something's not right here. So they actually went to evacuate this this field and get into the timber. And then Andy and I were right there. And I'm like, there's your second one, bro. Freaking pump that sucker. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I made a freaking picture-perfect shot on that one. That was... Yeah, that guy died, like, five yards down the hill. Yeah. So that was a cool trip. That was the first trip. Yep, that was awesome. Let's say... Uh, oh, this is a good one. Uh, M. Rock 316 saying, favorite song or band to get fired up to before a fight, lift, or a shoot? Jesus, there's a lot of different activities. <sighs> Fight, lift, or shoot. Just it's just a favorite pump up music. I mean, I th I feel like like Ride the Lightning. Is Metallica is Ride the Lightning is good. Or Whom the Bell Tolls, both like legit. Or Tool, Metallica yeah, or yeah. Tool. I would say. Yeah, you can you can do really good with either of those. Correct. Post post hunt, like post hunt, um, Fireball, Vitamin F. Yeah, Vitamin Fireball. Um, that would definitely be some Bob Seeger for me. Little night moves, kick it off. Is that what you play when you mm -hmm. uh, skin and quarter? Because mm -hmm. you threw something on on my Montana Bowl, the nine eleven bowl. I oh, couldn't yeah. remember what it was. That's though. yeah, Bob Seeger. That was yep. it. That was it. Yep. There's a playlist for every activity. Yeah, but I, I think those are two definite go tos for right sure. There. I don't have one for the post hunt. I'll have to think about that. Need to implement that in my routine. Yeah, because that should be just a. That should be like, today was a good day. I'll have to think about that. 
I want to touch on this though, since is this going to be a swap cast? Sure. If we're going to do a swap cast, then we'll um, we need to we need to touch on this a little bit. So on the way here, we stopped by um, we stopped by one of Andy's friends' houses, and uh, what was her name? Jane. Jane was Jane was in there just kind of chilling, and I didn't know it, but evidently Jane is like. Fairly new to jujitsu, yes. So, is that fair to say? So like, oh fuck, where's this going? So we're sitting on the, we're sitting there, and I'm like asking her, you know, to, like, how's it going with jujitsu and stuff, and and she's just like, good, and and she goes, yeah, Andy gave me some advice, and I was just like, oh, oh great, here we go, like this is gonna be freaking good, and she goes, yeah, like, cause. On certain nights, she goes, I'm normally really nice and just kind of say, like, hey, do you want to partner up to, like, roll tonight? And she goes, Andy told me, like, no, I need some, like, lead-in lines, like, like lead-in lines. So she said, like, he had me write them down in my notebook. And I go, and she goes, I was really surprised because I used this one on this kid and he was, like, really aggressive out of the gate. <laughs> And I go, well, what did you say to him? So this must be one of the ones you gave her. Yeah. So Jane is like one of the sweetest women on the face of the planet. She is my coach's wife's sister. So she's tied into the family. She's been proximal to the gym forever and just started. Um, so nice. And like, and I've rolled with her a bunch. And I was, it was obviously it was all a joke, but she's a writer. And I was like, hey, let me help you out. I'm going to write down for you five things that you could say at the beginning of an open mat because she would always say exactly like you described it. Hey, hope you're having a good day. Hey, do you want to roll? So number one was, hey, fuck face. You want to fight? <laughs> and <laughs> so I, that's what she led with. That's what she led with and then got mauled by the person that she said it to, which is exactly what I was going for. So yeah, Jeez. better opening lines. Talk yeah. shit at the beginning. And then when they maul you, continue to talk shit. <laughs> So that's my theory, though, at least. I want to know what... Do you remember the other ones? Oh, man. One of them was like, I think your face is stupid. We should fight. <laughs> they, were, they were all ridiculous. Like, there was nothing even remotely professional or serious about any of them. But that first time that I wrote them down for her, I made her say at least a couple of them to people. And their responses were all just like, what did you say to me? <laughs> I feel like sharing opening with that would be so. Oh God, be so like you'd be like, wait, what? The the less they expect it, the better. Obviously, yeah, for sure. All right, so we've got. uh, How about what's kept Andy from archery uh, for this last year? Yeah, I feel like a lot of people know this, but it's worth just throwing it out there. Yeah, a lot of people hit me up like, why weren't we hunting together, or why couldn't I hunt? And well, for one, just look back at twenty twenty. There's a lot of things that prevented even just being able to travel around. But about four weeks before archery season, a block away, I was doing jiu-jitsu. I was actually rolling with my coach. And uh, not to get into the nuts and bolts of jiu-jitsu, but he was able to get a grip on my left arm. I was on top facing down. He was on the bottom facing up. But with this grip, he was going to be able to basically push me over, and we were going to reverse that. I was going to be on the bottom. He was going to be on top. It's a very powerful grip, and the joint that it isolates or isolated was my elbow. And I I never felt like my arm was at risk, and I Travis would never have any uh, malicious intent or desire to hurt somebody. He's a phenomenal coach. 
Um, and I was actually going to roll, I was rolling through it, which is what you can do. I was basically getting ahead of what he was going to do. Yeah. I never felt pressure on my arm. And as we went over, it you went, were trying to manipulate to avoid the pressure before it really got there. I was going to try to get to where we were going to end up being first. So I could get into a more optimal defensive position. Yeah. He had what's uh, called a Kimura grip. You knew it was happening. Correct. So you're going to try to take the lesser of two evils. But what I probably did was. Um, so he was elevating my arm behind me, which is exactly what he was, should be doing. So I started the forward roll to release that. And I probably waited just a little bit too much. And as we were going, there was a very loud audible pop. <laughs> um, and in the moment, it didn't hurt that much. I actually yeah. rolled for like another 35 minutes. I definitely felt it. And we stopped. And he was like, dude, are you okay? It was loud. Like people yeah. heard it rolling around us. And it felt fine, and I kept rolling. It was. It felt a little bit weird when I would get my arm to full extension. Yeah, kind of important for archery, the ability to extend yeah. your arm. And then it would get. It would start hurting when I would feel my elbow being uh, the compressed, that forced compression. Yeah. Where well, was it at? Uh, it was in. It was deep inside of the joint. So it. it, it in essence, what it was was a, a hyperextension, and yeah. it, probably with a little bit of tendon damage. An hour after I was done rolling, when it kind of like started, a sprain, where well, I was starting to cool off. Yeah, and then I was—I mean, I was in a sling for a good period of time. I was off the mats uh, for a couple of weeks, and then when I got back on, I was just with one arm. So what prevented me hunting, specifically archery, was I couldn't hold my bow. Yeah, I couldn't maintain my arm in a straight direction. I it my elbow would have collapsed, and I would have eaten that carbon <laughs> fiber before yes. I could have gotten the cam to rotate. So. I, Jocko dealt with that too. The first time I gave him lessons, he had yeah. hyperextended his elbow, and he was. It's you're talking six to eight weeks of really limited uh, mobility, and then my strength was low. And I do not agree with being unethical when it comes to hunting, so yeah. I can't even practice now for almost yeah. a month and a half before archery season. Yeah, so I shelved it. I didn't want to go out there and be unprepared. Well, plus, like two of the hunts that we always do together were both scrapped. We're both scrapped. So I mean, a lot of times if you see. If you see like episodes, a lot of times one hunt will kind of translate into multiple episodes. Oh, yeah. Because like if, you know, and so there was a few times there where, yeah, just no one was traveling. We were on- Or um, when you were in Montana, I mean, I mean- I drew a, I drew a bull unit that was, that was like, I don't know, on the far other side of the state than, than well, what when we hunted together over here too. 2020 was- rough personal year for me and I, I didn't even remember to put in my tags yeah i didn't i didn't even put in a 920 i literally just went to cabela's and got an over the counter yeah so it was kind of a shit show of the year in a variety of reasons so you guys were down at the tack i wasn't able to go because i had the chance to be with that's my kids right. that's so right. there's a lot of things none of them intentional but it sucked because almost right after like when i heard the pop before I actually ended up landing flat on my back, the thought went through my head of, am I going to be able to shoot my bow? <laughs> I don't want that thought ever. Yeah. That's it, that's what scares me most. It's like- Well, I, I and have, here's the thing, though. It's my, it's my fault. I could have tapped way- or, I mean, because you can just verbally say, hey, tap. And, and again, nobody's trying to hurt anybody, but it's just- I, And I would have, but I never felt my elbow was at risk. I mm -hmm. think it was just a weird angle- but it was loud, and uh, it took a long time. I mean, I still—if I get to full arm extension, I can easily shoot a bolt, uh, a bull. 
I would shoot a bull. I can easily shoot my bow now, but I still feel a little bit of instability at full extension, which it shouldn't be anyway with a yeah. bow. And a little bit when I have people on the forced compression. It's I mean, it's way better. I've been rolling for months now after it, but it's it's lingered. It seems like a joint is so much worse than you know, I was planner's fasciitis is what I had in my foot. Sissy foot. Yeah, sissy foot. And it it was like I was mad at how painful this freaking cramp in the middle of your arch that like affects your whole foot to where you cannot put weight on your foot. It's ridiculous. And then on my knee, um, I mean, it got, I'll show you pictures. It got like, it got really weird to have like gross like that. Um, Did you ever think about having it taken out? If they can drain it and it really helps. Um, Did you drain it? Joe actually wanted to drain it. He's like, we can drain that. And Peter Atia's like, uh, let's not drain it here at camp. I'm going to go with the doctor's <laughs> advice on that one. But it, yeah, because honestly, when I when I let Peter feel it, Peter was like, ooh. That's not thought, good when I a thought, doctor like, touches yeah. you and makes that noise. <laughs> yeah, especially him because he's like, he's an athlete too. So it's yeah. not like he's a doctor that's never had any type of injury. His he's, threshold might be a little bit farther out there than most. Yeah, his threshold's way out there, like beyond mine, if I'm honest. So yeah, it was just one of those deals. But it was, both of those were like, to me, they were related to something that was like a movement area. And those are just way harder to like power through than- Sometimes you can't. Like I could not have powered through the elbow. Yeah. I mean, if you have like a calf cramp or like a torn, you know, a, I've had tears like in a major muscle group. They're aggravating, but they're not like dehabilitating. Yeah. A joint or a movement area is dehabilitating. Yep. So, um, all right. So we've got uh, next question. Elaborate, elaborate on POW surfing, please. And there was a couple people asking uh, asking us to give some snowboarding advice, even though we're not pro snowboarders. God, I would say hit up people like Mark Carter. Uh, oh, for sure. Yeah, there's like a million people we could say. I'm in my fourth season of snowboarding, and mm. Dudley is on his fourth day. <laughs> so <laughs> I think I'm on like day seven. Yeah. Um. I mean, I don't know what advice. I, I know. I know the best advice is like rear edge, because that was the one thing you told me. Um. You're like you can do a lot of things bad. What you don't ever want to do is catch your your back edge so not, with any type of speed. Uh, and I know that. And I did one time. Yeah, it'll almost it, kill you. You did yeah. that in uh, Utah. I watched you. It was awesome. Yeah, it's a it it's a brain shaker. He's talking oh, about that's right. That's going when downhill. Me, you and Mark yeah. were and Jay Byers. Yep. Who else was there? Sloan did Sloan ski. Trevor. Trevor was there. I don't know if that Sloan was an was awesome there. day. We were. At, it were was. we at Brighton? I think so. But what we're talking about is, you know, you get the nose of the board pointed downhill, which is going to give you speed. But one of the worst things that's ever happened to me on a snowboard is to get my heel edge facing downhill, catch that rear edge, and you go standing back of your head. And it hurts every inch of your body. So that's, yeah, I mean, pow surfing, I love powder days. They're infrequent. I don't know. They were awesome that first year. They were. Because you were... You were like, dude, you got to do this. You got to do this. And I came, I think I came out and then um, 
Yeah, it, it nuked when you were here the first time. Yeah, Sharon and I both came out, and you and your uh, JP. Yeah, or uh, Nelson. Yeah, that's his Instagram name, JP Grant. No, your brother-in-law. Oh, Jason. Yeah, JP is his Jason Dino. Oh. oh, JP Dino is my uh, brother-in-law. Yeah. Okay, so he well, he was the one that taught me. Yeah, he's the which one who taught was, me too. Which was. His technique was, it seemed so basic. It almost seemed like a little, I don't know, for me, like having a person hold my hands and do this drill. I was like, this is- Oh, was he having you scoot down? Yeah, but man, was that, that was like so pinnacle. You know, he pretty much had me, you know, I'm holding my phone, you know, parallel to me right now. But he would have me going down the hill with my board, you know, pretty much horizontal to the hill. Toes facing down the hill. Toes facing down, and I would slide down, and then he would say, toes up. So I would dig my heel in and scrape. Yep. And, he, and then I would, he'd say, toes down. I would go, and I would realize if I put my toes down too far, I would grab edge. But and, yeah, and you would go to your <laughs> knees. And so he was just in front of me, just yep. holding my hand, just letting me learn edge. And then you flip slide that. Edge, slide edge, yep. slide edge, slide edge, down the down the whole hill, just slide edge, slide edge, like five yards at a time. And then he had me turn around to yep. where then you're working the, Toe side ed- edge. The, the edge we talked about being the dangerous edge. It's only dangerous until you can't control it. If you, you have to be able to dig in. with the toes and you have to be able to dig, especially if you're going to link those turns because mm-hmm. that's how you can manage it. Yeah. And then um, honestly, learning those basics, then it was, then it was big S's and... I don't know. I think for if anyone's trying to learn snowboarding, um, for, I would say find a good coach. For me, that was freaking awesome. Yeah, just just saying because I'm a big coach. I'm a coach dork. He taught me too. It would be worth. And here's what I would say: I was at the resort a week ago, and there was in the lift. I'm not joking. The chair in front of the group I was there with was a, a husband or a boyfriend. I don't know, trying to teach his significant other. It was obvious it was her first time on the board. And I'm not saying this person wouldn't necessarily have been a good coach, but we saw her later down in the lodge with a sling on her arm and basically barely able to walk. Like, I guess she got ski uh, ski patrolled off the mountain in one of those sleds. Dang. Maybe the guy is an amazing coach, um, but invest. it would be worth it to invest the time to get some one-on-one. Because oh, yeah. Jason did the exact same thing with me yeah, that, that he awesome. did with you. And then linking those turns, just learning yeah. how to like work that turn, and you know it was like it was like baby steps technique, which I would have loved like another full day of that. But honestly, so we did the little slide, slide, slide down the mountain once. We came back up, then he turned me around, and I kind of did the slide, slide. Then we came back up, and he like barely taught me how to do turns, and then. And he's like, all right, follow, you know, follow me. We're just going to take this different lift. And then like. Black diamonds, bitches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then like third run, we're at the top of the freaking mountain. And I'm like, and you're like, dude, you got this. <laughs> you have to know you're a student. I know I could push you. I was like. You're fine. Okay. Yeah, it was. It was good. But again, I mean, I'm nobody to give advice on snowboarding, but I would say on any new activity, you got to learn the foundations first. It's not like, I mean, reach out to guys like Carter. Uh, I'm trying to think what Carter told me because we set that board up 
at Brighton, right? And Car- yeah. and he adjusted my bindings a few times. He's messing with your stance stance width and then the angle of your toes. Yeah, that's just something that you're going to have to play with. You know, like where your feet should be naturally apart. Because at first, I think I was taking an archery stance. Because yeah, I think you were narrow. Actually. Because I was like comfortable being. To me, that was just a stance that, like, if someone said, "Stand here," I'm going to stand like I'm getting ready to shoot an archery target. Yeah, which is way too narrow for you on a. Yeah, board. and so. When I set up my board myself, I kind of went with that stance. And then Mark's like, let's get your feet out a little bit more. Because when my feet were too narrow, I think when I was like going to turn, I was like lifting up the front of my board too, because I was very centered. Yeah, he would know better than me. Yeah, and then like he spread me out. And I think we shifted to where I wasn't like, I can't remember which way he put me forward or back. But yeah, having someone that understands snowboarding can like once you get your bindings in the position based on that board length. Um, whoever originally said like, I feel like it's it's is it like the fastest learning curve? When you compare it to skiing, skiing what I have been told is that you can. Let me see how how does this work for skiing? You can learn skiing faster. Like your but initial, it's harder to master. Correct. Your initial learning curve is faster, but then it becomes harder to master. Whereas snowboarding, your first couple of days, I mean, if you're being, if you're looking at starting snowboarding, your first couple of days are going to hurt. Yep. But once you can get past that, your learning curve accelerates and exceeds what mm-hmm. you can do on skis. Yeah. the The it's initial fun, learning curve first, is yeah. the the initial learning curve is like steeper, but your ability to to like master a plateau supposedly happens faster. But then, I don't know, even hearing that, because I skied competitively for a long time, and it's like, I don't know, you look at someone like like Mark Carter, dude, the stuff that he does, it's like, it's easy to say it's, it's quicker to master, but is that mastering on a groomed trail? Yeah, but for because most people, that, that's what they're going to use it on anyway. Yeah. Like, Mark is in a completely different stratosphere. Yeah, he's in a whole different universe. Yeah, the speed that he rides and the velocity with which he would hit jumps and the air that he would achieve with that, I'm not comfortable with any of those things, let alone in combination. I wonder if, like, when Mark kind of cruises with us, because you know he's just, like, there because he knows we can't go where he's going. Have you ever tried to, like, jog with someone that's way slower than you no i don't run okay well it's harder it's like yeah it probably feels unnatural yeah it's like it's almost it's almost harder to run and your times are worse running with someone that can't do a pace it's almost harder to like hold yourself back than to like stride yeah that makes sense so i wondered if like mark would make more technical mistakes like dinking around with just like small stuff than when he was moving at a pace for him that was so instinctual i think to, he was just like riding his board backwards and doing goofy shit yeah he was never- cooking hot dogs off the freaking front of his board <laughs> and like freaking having yeah i mean he was probably just working on other like what would be considered ridiculously hard for us just little skills like i'm pretty sure like working on getting a nap in yeah he, uh, I did see him fall though one time, but he was, you know, chewing a toothpick and I don't. Well, like, that's every second. <laughs> like his back hit the ground and he was back up. Like if I had fallen like that, it would have taken me a while to get my shit back in one sock. But it, <laughs> it's, 
that's what's awesome about people that have done something enough. They understand like how to let their momentum carry them into back to like yeah. on your feet again. Yeah, you can barely they even utilize. Know that he went down. Yeah, they utilize that momentum. Yeah. All right. Well, let's. Um, I'm gonna. Well, this is a good question, and this is kind of more of a cleared hot question anyway. So, ooh, well, that's a good question. What are you doing? You're, you look like you're getting ready to get up. I mean, I'm, I'm, swinging glad, I'm glad you're on your a beer and a half here. I mean, some of us have to be responsible. Oh, yeah, whatever. That's just iced tea. I emptied that. And oh, then uh, okay. heat sealed it again. Here we go. Here we go. Um, I mean, it's good tea. I will say yeah. that it's good tea. Um, so skydive progression. Yep. This is. I mean, you're. You you've kind of taken a little bit of a break from this, which is kind of you Not and my Tre- choice, really. You and Trevor both, because when I met you two, that was so high on your like priority list. Well, we it both- was like part of a daily. It it was like a routine for both of you, and then it's just yeah. like obviously life takes different turns at times. So I live ten years or ten years. I live ten minutes from a drop zone in San Diego, so mm-hmm. I, I actually would have. People think I'm joking. I'd make a coffee in the morning, and when I heard the first plane of the day taking off, I would call and put myself on the manifest and drive out there. And I could, I could do six to ten jumps in a day and be back before I needed to, you know, pick the kids up at school. So, and Trevor was out there jumping too because he was on the leapfrogs at the time. So we were training, and I was working with those guys. And moving to Montana has been great, except there's no drop zones yeah. anywhere near where I live. Is there base jumping in Glacier National Park? Yes, at this phase in my life, do I want to deal with the legalities of something that's already dangerous? I don't. It's yeah. not worth the risk. Which uh, is a good choice from your, like your friends' perspective. All of us, you know, me, Jago, Joe, and yeah, but you, you know, guys all also of us. don't necessarily understand it either. You just look at well, the, we totally don't understand it, but we also are like, you know, I don't know. It's like if I didn't bow hunt for a long, long time, would I go? on a spot and stall grizzly hunt like my first time back people would probably be like well what the heck and part of me would be like dude i've been around bears a million times but doesn't mean i've current i've wondered yeah well see that's what i was wondering like the progression the importance about progression is like the currency of it and even though i got certified with you and trevor which was awesome and I think if you were still in San Diego and Trevor was still there, we'd probably I, jump our asses. Yeah, off. I think I would yeah. have been way more on the ball with that too. But now I'm sitting there thinking, like, if I were to go back and jump right now, do I need to go back to a school yes. for a day before I would jump again? Yeah, I feel so, like I should. And well, and I'm in that same boat too. When it comes to, would you do that? I don't need to. I mean, I got over seven thousand jumps, so there's a little bit of a difference. Just like there he, is there. Well, yes. <laughs> But would I just go send it off of a cliff in my wingsuit? Absolutely not. I would need to go right back to the very beginning of probably go back to the Perrine Bridge in Idaho just to refresh packing base jumping rigs. And I would be in shorts and a T-shirt probably for a week, rep after rep after rep after rep. Would you have someone there to like watch you pack the first time to be like, hey, can you double check me? Or do you think you would Yeah, I would have the guy who taught me who's actually going to be on the podcast here in a few weeks. His name is Miles Dasher. I would... Link up with him, full refresher, just to make, and even though I have every step written down in my base jumping logbook, the back two pages are a step-by-step, do this, fold this direction. I still would go and find mm-hmm. somebody who would mentor me. Yeah, that's cool. Have him check. I would start at the bridge, and then I would 
go start skydiving, get current again skydiving, throw my wingsuit on. Out while, of the plane. Out of the plane. Yeah. Then if I wanted to combine that and go wingsuit base jumping, I would go somewhere uh, maybe Notch Peak. Like an entry level. Not even, well, it doesn't necessarily mean to be entry level. I would need to have an exit that didn't have as steep of a consequences because yeah. uh, there's exits over. Uh, so you you'd choose technicality six out of 10 versus an eight oh, or nine. Oh, I'd choose out a two out of 10. Oh, okay, damn. I would want the safest exit that I could get my hands on, meaning the maximal amount of time from feet leaving the edge of the cliff until impact. You know, there's jumps that I've done that are slightly over. Uh, they're overhung or underhung. You know, they, it could be the wall is going away from you as you push out. Or there's some that have a mandatory push that you need to clear. Like, you don't want to play with any of that stuff until you're incredibly current. No close proximity flight to the terrain. It would be, hey, I'm going to exit this item, fly my suit, and pull high. And then yeah. rep after rep after rep after rep. And then, but again, all of that takes time. It takes access to those locations. And none of that I really have anymore. Yeah. So all of Scott, Are those places open? Like, are which they? ones? Like Skydive San Diego? Yes. Are they like yeah. rolling? Yeah, Paris. Uh, I've seen videos of people jumping up in Paris, which is east of LA. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, they're they're following the protocols that they need to. But Anything outside seems like, I mean, you're way better off, right? For sure. Yeah, getting forced inside seems to be the easiest way to, to transmit. But having said that, you're forced inside a small aircraft to skydive. So they're taking the precautions. But I can't stress enough, you know, progression – I've seen more than enough people end up in a in a pine box because they view, they'll watch a YouTube video or I'm, ma- I'm making an assumption, but for whatever reason they decide they want to become a wingsuit based jumper. Yep. But they don't want to take a couple of years to develop skill and knowledge and experience in the skydiving world, so they rush that and get themselves in over their head. Even though I've been jumping since '99, I'm nowhere near the uh, place where I used to be to do that stuff. So I would even go back. Yeah. Probably not to the beginning, but to where I feel comfortable and build from that. So you have to understand the progression. And then I cannot overemphasize the currency. Yeah. I don't care how many jumps you have. If you're not current, I mean, flying a wingsuit is completely visual. So there's no altimeter when you wingsuit base jump. It's just camera one, camera two. Yeah. And what the suit feels like. Does it feel inflated? Do I have enough power that I can get away from terrain? And if you're not used to feeling that, you have no business, you know, towing up to the edge of that stuff. Yeah. I think um I think one of the things with that whole school it was do you think everybody should do a tandem first? I didn't tandem first. I kind of just thought like I've n- I didn't either. It depends on the student. And I yeah. think it depends largely cuz one of the guys in my class I realized like I think didn't he go up with us and he didn't go he didn't jump out and then he ended up tandem he did a tandem I because don't know. he ended I've, up graduating after me. I've seen that happen. His, yeah. I don't know if that happened with him. And the thing with tandems, I would say, is this. If you're very trepidatious, if you're super scared, if you're not really sure if you want to do it, go the tandem route first. For sure. Because your responsibilities are zero. Yeah. If you know that it's something you want to do or you've done a tandem and you want to go the AFF route and learn on your own, then do that. But the easiest exposure and the lowest responsibility for the jumper is just to be strapped to somebody and just let them do all the work. It's their job. I feel like the wind tunnel is so valuable. Like the yep. fact that we wind tunneled first, like gave me just instant confidence of when I went out of that plane, what I would feel. It gives you context that you can't teach unless yeah, you Yeah, you really it. can't. 
there's no way you can describe yep. like what that does. And even when you try to, um, there, even, there's so many people that aren't good at it. Like, yeah, because of the amount of times and, you know, I fly is awesome and we've been to a lot of them. We've rented several of them out, but I feel like because you're a bigger person, you also like recognize the mistakes that I'm making and what they really mean versus some of these instructors are like very small framed. Mm -hmm. So I would just based on like, I think what I recognize, it seems like the bigger you are, you're kind of, you know, you're putting a magnifier on, on that, on that variable. Do you think so? Well, so the littler, a lot of the tunnel guys are about that size. Yeah. Some of the best flyers in the world are generally lean, tall, Mm -hmm. or not necessarily tall, but they're, they're, I guess, lanky. They're kind of in between. They're kind of lanky. Yeah. And so when you think about the wind tunnel, the more your the higher your body weight is, the more wind, the higher the velocity they have to push you from yeah. below. Yep. And that's the artificiality of the tunnel. Um, so they have to keep cranking it and cranking it and cranking it. And the level for you and I to fly on our belly, <laughs> yeah. some of those smaller dudes, they're flying on their head and they're carving around. Um, I don't think it necessarily amplifies the movements are the movements, but you have a higher velocity of wind elevating you. So when you make a correction, you know, it's if, magnified because of the amount of pressure yeah. they have to put to hold you up. That's because what I, you're yeah. in a in a controlled environment. That's what I would say. And if okay. that little that, guy that had, would make sense. If that little guy, if he had the same amount of uh, wind coming up underneath, from a ratio perspective, if he made a gross move, or a, it would have the same impact. So if they cranked it up to what were they at for for us uh, when for I started you, to do my belly? when you're, I did back. Yeah, because I think the last time they're going to turn it down for that because they want to keep you closer to the net. Okay, the mesh net on the bottom. Because I remember the something you get, we were doing last seemed like it was. I can't remember what the last things we were doing was. Was it sitting or on the back? Belly to back transitions. So going okay. from your belly towards the earth to your back. I'd say for your belly, they're probably going to have your terminal velocity is going to be. You're probably close to one twenty. Mm-hmm. For me, I'm probably one fifteen. And then Maybe. what about some of those little guys that were in there with us? Shit, if they were on their belly, hundred probably. Yeah, it really depends. Yeah, you know, it, it's a mathematical. You know, you could figure it out mathematically. If you drop a bowling ball and a baseball from an airplane, they're going to land at different, you mm-hmm. know, at different times. So, um, yeah, I'd say they probably had you on your belly, and you can tell when they first start teaching you in a wind tunnel, the wind is lower. And you're sitting there like, I can't get off the net. And that's actually a safety mechanism yeah. for you. <laughs> yeah. So, but you can learn to turn with small movements. You're just not, because, and their worry is, and it's totally founded, because I've seen shit get wild <laughs> in the tunnel. The more speed they give you with the wind, yeah. if you jam your legs out straight, you're going to rock it into the glass. <laughs> Ask Jocko. Um, you know, it's, if they keep it lower, you'll still move forward. So they wait until, and actually those tunnels, if you look on the wall, they have levels of flyers. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you'll see the instructors and they'll tap their head. That means they want that throttle smashed all the way forward. Yeah. And they'll fly vertically. But if they make a mistake and say catch a 45 degree angle too long, so it's, it, you, it's all, it's again, it's foundations. Yeah. It's a structured approach to how do you yeah. get there. And the fastest way to kill yourself would be never being in a tunnel, tap your head. They wouldn't crank it up, but if they did, God help you, because it's about to get <laughs> fucking Western. And I've seen it, and it's awesome. Yeah. Because we used to do that to military I got guys. a little Western on that one, on my one jump. 
Yeah, that's all right. Yeah, it well, happens. Yeah, I think you failed you, me. You, yeah, you deserve to fail. Your your performance was substandard, <laughs> and you need to exit the forge. Now you basically just, as you were pulling, you basically dropped your shoulder low, and it's. I mean, you and I tucked my feet. Like yeah. looking back, and it, and you've jumped now. It's not rocket surgery. Yeah, it's about symmetrical presentation of surface area to the wind. Yeah, if I take this my right hand and like just put it here, it like. There's no, there's nothing crazy about it. So that's why when you reach back to pull, you know, everything is kind of attached. If you're going to do this, it's yeah. symmetrical. And if you don't, then you suffer the consequences. <laughs> yeah. Backflip, pull. It, it's so common. Somehow I didn't like loop around my leg. I don't know. It's, it, it's, it re it's not that it's hard to get yourself in trouble, but a lot has to really go wrong. Possibly. Yeah, or you could be unlucky and you could just be nuked on your first jump. I mean, but like when in regards to the progression for those of you listening, like when when I went through the class and then did the first jump, um you kind of have you have like very systematic stages of things that you have to do that and are very important. few per jump. Yeah, each one is like a little and then you add you just mm -hmm. continually add to that yeah. towards your certification but the reality is you're really not free falling for that long before you pull I, was i pulling at half the altitude or like double the altitude as you guys would you say no i, I think you were pulling at five i think you were starting your wave off and pull at 55 so you were probably clearing pins i at, thought it was 75 but maybe no. it was 55 oh god no no it was in the fives for sure but i felt like i was floating for like five minutes more than you guys you were on a bigger canopy. Okay. So your canopy was probably... But you get a lot of, like, in those first jumps, you get a lot of, like, ability to navigate a canopy around. It's one of the most important aspects. I mean, your canopy, you felt like that because you were probably at a greater than one-to-one -one, or less than one-to-one -one wing loading, meaning for one pound of body weight, let's say somebody weighs 200 pounds. If your canopy is 200 square feet, that's a one-to-one. -one. Yeah. You were probably you were probably jumping close to a three hundred square foot canopy, yeah. and the reason why it felt like you were up there longer is I was jumping an eighty four square foot canopy. Yeah. So it's and mine is designed to dive. Yeah. So I'm on the ground, and that also though as an instructor gives us a chance the radio and your headset to allow you to practice stuff. I mean, it's designed to be that way. You need yeah, because you would be you know that's the one cool thing too. If you haven't ever done certification, they actually have a Motorola connected to the side of your helmet. So as you're up there, you're getting really good navigation um, saying like, you know, all right, looks good. You know, hey, you know, pull, pull right, pull right. Okay, that's a good line right there. You're good, you're good. Okay, now bank left, bank left. And then you'd bank left, at least for this approach, you know, bank left, bank left. Good, straighten out, good, good, good. And then bank left again, bank left, bank left. Okay, good. Hold, 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 and you would literally be coming in, and you know you're kind of waiting for the right height, and then they would be like, you know, pull, 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 pull. Yeah. yeah, flare, I guess. And so then you'd fully flare, and then you know, feet up, walk it through, walk it out, and then you know, good job, good job. So it was really cool to have that. Well, it's like, no different than ear. when you were teaching me archery at your house the first time, walking me through everything, and then as things go on, you would add something else for me to think about in yeah. an attempt to move me farther along and not overwhelm me. And then you would say, you know what I mean? It's just, it's a crawl, walk, run, 
another way you can think of it is you're in positive control, at least verbally from the instructors for your first few jumps. And then they say less and less and less. And hopefully by your last jump, usually the seventh or eighth, and you're on your own. And after that, you jump by yourself. I remember there's been a few times where you've done way more archery than I did skydiving. Yes. Like when it comes to the, you know, the like our one-on-one communication yep. in regards to that. So like I remember a year ago, I kind of gave you a pointer on something and you and you said, I was doing this two years ago, wasn't I? And I go, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like you weren't ready for it yet. But you would have so exploded been, my brain if you would have told me that two But years that's before. been in my mind about like I'm sitting there thinking how much – and maybe that's how you and I are programmed, but in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, how much am I actually doing wrong that he's not telling me yet? How do you think I feel when I do jujitsu? <laughs> oh, man. So you got coaches that have been black belts for like 15, 16 years, and they'll say, hey, put your hand here. And and I'll you have the same thought process. I'm like, what are you guys not telling me? Because I know for a fact I'm doing a lot more They're wrong. three years down the road trying to set you yeah. up for something you need to learn later. But that's, I mean, that's the mark of a good coach because yeah. they could sit me on the bench and be like, listen, first you need to think about this and then do this and then do this and then do this. And they'll give me 15 things. By the end of that, I remember none. And I go back out and I just get mauled because all I'm thinking about is what did they just say as I'm getting smashed as opposed to them saying, uh, get off your toes you yeah. know, or get off your knees. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay, I can do that. Yeah. And then six months later, you know, do this. Like, okay, I can do that. That's, I mean, to me, that's the difference between a good coach and a bad coach. How, like, when it comes to skydiving, how much do you think people need to be fully committed to that in order to really pursue certification? Because I feel like what I do you was. mean by certification? Well, they, the, this guy was just asking about progressive, but I'm kind of taking it a step further. Like, for me, when you said, hey, do you want to skydive? I said, well, if I skydive, I want to, like, know how to do it. So, but I was committed to that too. You and I, you know, we did I fly ahead of time. Like, yep. I had delegated time to that process. Um, for skydiving, do you think people, if they want like that first certification, how far mentally do you think they need to be? If you want to get certified, commit the time and monetary resources to get through the initial certification. I would say to your A license, which I think would be your AFF course. And I, I might be wrong because I'm not super current. Another seven or something on the regs. I think it's twenty total jumps, and you have to do. Depends a, how many times Andy fails you to get to your first yeah, one. It's performance dependent, and you didn't reach. <laughs> you didn't meet the standard. <laughs> Once, um, I, but here's the thing: I wouldn't have been. I failed one in my AFF. Yeah, part of me feels like the only reason you failed me is because you couldn't do it all in one go. It doesn't do anybody any good, specifically the person learning, to push them forward when they're not ready to be, you know, advanced. So I would say you did your AFF cert in a weekend. Mm-hmm. If you want to get a good exposure, dedicate the time to do that. But I would say if you're going to do it, get your A license, which I'm pretty sure is 20 jumps. It'd be and, cool to like delegate two weeks you'd to your, like go get a yeah. do an Airbnb in in San Diego, like. And you'd probably have your B license by the end of that, which I think is 50. Again, I'd have to go through the regs. And don't be afraid to take some time between like that first class. And your first cert, and then I feel like, I feel like by the end of that first cert, it's actually harder. Like, it's harder embracing the wind than you think. Like I could have done with 
taken a few days off to like recoup to where I feel like I would have been better going back to like get that actual A license. I think and well for myself, you know, when you're in the AFF course, you're you're task focused. Mm-hmm. Check my altimeter do a 90 degree left or whatever it may be, front yeah. flip or a back flip. And then you jump out in your own for the first time and you can kind of just like look around. Yeah. I remember my first solo jump, I jumped out and I didn't do shit. With that? I just looked at the horizon and I like looked at the San Diego Bay and it was relaxing more than stressful because I didn't have anything to accomplish other than at mm. some point before impacting the ground, deploy my parachute. Yeah, because I guess when, when on my last jumps... Because obviously you're trying to complete a bunch of tasks before you hit yeah. where you need to pull. Which you're being told to complete. You're not choosing them. Yeah. So it was like, you know, right turn, stop, yep. left turn, stop. I think it was like- Forward movement. Well, forward. I had to check. Mm-hmm. I had to check altimeter. I had to forward slide, rear slide, flip on my back, do an uncontrolled- Backflip. That's how we get people on their back. Yeah. yeah. back Backflip and then stabilize and then a dive. Track. Yeah, and yep. so then I had to track to a direction, which was the funnest. Like, part of me didn't like the fact that I was never able to, like, you know, I always had to do the, like, foot in, out, in, out, Oh, yeah, go. the count, yeah. Whereas you were just like, we're going, you know? <laughs> like, I was looking forward to that next step of yeah. just, like, all right, bail out, and then everyone can just freaking bail out, because that's... But that would have been, you know, your first jump by yourself when you're off of your AFF status and you're building jumps towards your license. Yeah. You could have jumped out and done a whole skydive where you track. Yeah. Or if your backflips are your thing or front flips, that's you could have done it the whole way down. Yeah. Um, but you have to build that off of fundamentals. Yeah. Um, What'd you do on your first one out? Nothing. I jumped out and just tried to relax and it just... I. I was focusing more on what what it actually feels like to be falling as opposed to left 90, you know what I mean? Left 90, check altimeter, right 90, heading control, check out. It was just, I just jumped out and I looked at the bay. I'm like, this is fucking awesome. It would be so cool to get Rogan up there. He'll never do it. I've offered him so many times. I don't think he'll do it. He won't. But I think if he did, like, I think he'd just. You know the key to that? Because he loves that stuff. Here's the gateway. You already know the gateway. It's the tunnel. Yeah. There's one in Austin. Oh, that's right. We've been there. Is that the one we used? No, we used San Diego or We've San Antonio. One, yeah, but there is one in Austin. So that's the gateway drug for Joe. He won't do it though. He'll do the tunnel. I don't think there's any way we could physically get him in an aircraft. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Nah, probably not. Probably I'll, I'll not. tell you right now, I've asked him a half a dozen times, and now I just get back the middle finger emoticon when I ask him, <laughs> and he's just like, fuck you. But I bet you he would love the tunnel, because yeah. with his jujitsu background and his- What's awesome is he could buy one now. He could build one at his house. Why buy one? Just build it. That's one of the things, if I had just like FU money- Oh, for sure. A wind tunnel would be way up on the list. Yep, I agree. I would probably buy that before I'd get a hunting- like an actual hunting ranch. Yeah, because there's probably less upkeep on the tunnel than the ranch. <laughs> Just pay somebody a couple grand to go hunt their ranch. Let them do the feed. Who was that dude that we skydived with in uh in San San Antonio? The tall dude. Oh, Punisher? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he used to work out at the tunnel in Eloy. I've I mean I have known Eli. Was it Eloy? Is it? Eloy is skydive Arizona is Eloy. Okay. Arizona. I've known him. Or we've known each other, not well, but shit, since the early 2000s. How small is that world? Because I was surprised. 
there's a lot of people who uh, the tunnel coaching world they'll start uh, splintering out, and as iFly opens other tunnels, they'll generally take oh. staff members that are developing. So I probably only know a couple of them at this point because I haven't been in a tunnel in a while. But yeah, it's small. There's not that many people who skydive. I can't even imagine if it's a hundred thousand. I'd say it's less. Yeah. So, well, I think your side business would be people hire you for coaching with a one-hour wind tunnel. No. No, I'm not interested in doing that. I do it for my friends, but there's no amount of money that would have me. That's what I would say if someone asked me about. Like life. zero amount of money is going to make me be willing and ready to do that. I refuse. Are you wanting to talk to me about anything? I asked all the questions. No. Um, all the stuff I would want to talk about would be hunting stuff, but we talked about it. We don't know what... Are we going to do a full a full auto Friday record? Yeah, let's do that tomorrow. We don't have to do it all right now. No, but I mean, like, we should do that. That way, you've got a straight up. Yeah, for this Friday coming up. Mm-hmm. All the stuff I would want to talk about is stuff we can't actually answer. Like, <laughs> are we going to get to hunt together in twenty one? Is this, uh, you know, well, well it, we can answer that. I mean, it's just a matter of like we book we book something instantly and then it's done. Well, it better be in a state we know is going to be open because <laughs> yeah, we basically true. were going to do that in Canada, which very is, true. is 60 miles from where we are right now, but it might as well be 6 million because we can't cross, well, we can cross the border, but we can't do anything for 14 days. That's a solid start to the night. It is. It is. No, I think we, uh, let's just commit to actually hanging out more in 2021. Dude. I mean, let's do it. Yeah. We came way the freak up here. You need to get to Iowa. I will come to Iowa. You guys are, I mean, not you guys, but Iowa seems, you know, it's its not a good time to surprise people because they might give you a hazmat suit and tell you to sleep in the garage. <laughs> you know, it's like. How never, good does it feel like once you've got COVID though and it's over? Uh, <sighs> I feel like. Pros and cons. I, I mean, it, you know, it's, it's weird to say it because you know there's people, you know, well, one of my really good friends, his dad has it right now and is like struggling with it. Yeah. So it's hard to say it, but, and he was worried about it. So he went to get tested and he's like, I'm negative. And, and part of me's like, dang, like everyone who's got it and they made it through it. You're just like, okay. Like, I don't have to worry about that friend right now. Yeah. And you know, I, and you know though, I don't know how it's long. like you, Evan freaking, you know, Rogan, I'm just like, Jocko, I was like, because part of me in the back of my mind's like, it's just, it's like Murphy's Law, like with Jocko, you're thinking like, okay, because when we talk skydiving with Jocko, Jocko's like, yeah, I have this dream, or like, I'm in this plane that's crashing, and I just totally survive it, because I can... I just grab, I rip the seat off the plane and I jump out the window and then I throw the seat across the surface of the water to like break the surface tension. Then I just dive in and I'm fine. Straight up, straight up. I actually remember that story. (laughs) And so I'm thinking like in the back of my mind, like, God dang, it would just be Murphy's law if like this thing that everybody who you know, doesn't have superpowers is kind of making it through. And then like, it takes out someone major, you know, where you're like, what? Like when the rock had it or something, you're like, oh, you know, crap. You know, like if someone like that 
take like if it takes down like a Rogan, a Rock, a Jocko, like everyone else on Earth are gonna be thinking, oh no. Agreed. I'm totally <laughs> like at that point your hopes are totally down. So every time someone I know gets it and makes it through, I'm like, phew, okay, that's awesome. You know, it's like one person that I'm close to that would I would legitimately struggle with that like I would have to deal with that. Um, I don't know. I'm I am glad that I don't have to worry about what it would be like. Like the fear of the unknown is generally yeah. worse than the activity itself. I'm not saying by any, I'm not trying to diminish uh what it is for people because the experiences are different for everybody. Uh I wish it wasn't having the impact that it was, yeah. you know. Yeah. I agree. It's a bummer deal. But like shout out, I know your new sponsor's Origin. Yep. And shout out to um all those guys. They're they're freaking awesome. Obviously, um Jocko and Helen are like super good friends and and just had some awesome awesome times with them. You know, I love I don't know, it's hard because people want us to do this when we're together. It's almost more fun to not and just be able to be See, in the that's moment. what's hard is like I know people want to know what it's like and they want that like they want to be part of like us hanging out, but also there's this fine line of, you know, we have such a good time when none of us think about that. Yeah. To where, you know, it's like if we're with Joe, as much as like the JRE is freaking everyone wants to know about it and there's probably topics that all of us talk about that would be cool for everyone to listen to it's like there comes a time too where you have to turn it off and i don't know it's it's tough to like navigate that of when do we turn it on for everybody and when do we turn it off to where we can like catch up at the same, it's tough. I don't have an answer for that because half the shit I say is not appropriate for a podcast. Anyway. Very true. Yeah, dude, I worry about you every day, and it's <laughs> COVID is the least of the worries. Believe Correct. me. No, it's it. Uh, I mean, when I was like, God dang, is that no. is that two wooden dicks in freaking? It was. It's two wooden dicks, and sometimes I'll post pictures of them with no context and let people figure it out on their own. But you know, Jocko is in. Uh, uh, Big Sky not too long ago, and he since left because the snow was a little bit low tide, and I was going to go down and bore with him for a day. And you know, in the back of my head, I have a travel podcast kit, which I was intentionally not going to take because yeah. I just want to go. I mean, he's just my friend. I could, yeah. Like, it, would there be a value with the podcast potentially grow if you do that episode? Maybe, yeah. But I'd rather just go and just hang out, and you know, and. I don't know what that says about me. I mean, I'm not trying to withhold anything from anybody, but I think we have every right to live our own lives too. No, but part of us like wants that relief of, man, I haven't, like yesterday when when I freaking like hugged you, it felt like as much, like part of me wanted to be live to like <laughs> let people see like I'm surprising Andy, but it felt so good to just be able to see you again and just yeah. like sit around and talk and then, and then it, it was almost weird, like, starting the podcast, too, because, I don't know, there's so much stuff that we talked about that we want to just talk about because we're friends. That's what's funny, too, about, like, podcasts is um, you and I will shoot text back and forth just to 
just a jack with each other. So like 100%. me, like me, me, <laughs> me posting a picture of you and the Creed guy. You know, a good friend of mine, Ryan, texts me. He's like, "Holy shit, dude, are you and Andy okay?" <laughs> and I'm like, "This is the least of everyone's worry." Yeah, we're dying like, laughing. Th- on this. Yeah, it's <laughs> like yeah. this. We have way worse texts to each other that we can't show <laughs> than like Andy as the Creed singer. Yeah. Now it's an interesting balance. Um, I'd love having uh, the ability to do this and sit down and talk about stuff because I do think it makes a difference for people. But I also seriously yeah. guard my personal time and the and the deeper level of a relationship. Then I don't care how long your podcast is. I think you only scratch the surface of that. And I don't think you should try because. I don't know. Maybe it would be less valuable for the two people if they just tried to make everything about that public. I don't think it's the right way to go. Yeah, I mean, I feel like when Jocko came and uh, I never really, I never posted this, um, and hopefully I'm not overstepping bounds. But like Helen really wanted to to learn archery because Helen is Jocko's wife. For yeah. People who don't so know what so about. Jocko, Jocko has really incorporated archery into his routine. Like he's, he's part of like, he's part of that. And it doesn't, what's cool about archery is it doesn't have to be, it takes less time. If you have an ability to shoot at home, Oh yeah, you can pick up your bow and you can make like, honestly, I shoot, if I shoot 40 good arrows, if I shoot four arrows at a time times 10, I I feel like I practice today. Now there's times where when I'm shooting good, I love it and I'll shoot for I'll extend that and I'll really sometimes I just get into a zone and I go and I go and I go and I'm like that lifting too. There's times where I'm like I need to lift today and I want to lift today and I'll go in and I'll go through the motions. But there's also times where I go in and I start moving weight to the point where like I think yesterday I worked out like an hour and 50 minutes, not because I wanted to, but just because I felt good doing it. And I thought I'm, I'm improving myself by pushing, by like moving this pin and I was able to yeah. move it. And there's certain days where I can't move it. So it's really hard. And that's, what's hard for me. Like when people want me to post a specific training regimen for archery is, and maybe this was the same for, Maybe was it the same for you guys in the teams where if the team is like working as a unity, you guys try something harder because right then you might be able to go to another level together because you're because like you're mixing really well at that time. Whereas when they say like, hey, today we're gonna do this, like we're gonna do this mission, and if if there's like friction within the system, it's just like, it's not going to happen that day. So you can do it to go through the motions, but you're not going to do it to progress. You won't do it to progress unless you really can pay attention to where you are. Like writing a workout routine is great or putting up numbers or percentages, but it, you have to be able to adapt that for the individual. If someone's like, okay, today is going to be five sets of deadlift at your one rep max but you're exhausted for something else that you did. Yeah, you have to modify that or you're going to set yourself backwards. So having a template is great, but you have to stay in, in touch with who you are. Did you feel like that was a setback for like when you did very specific like 
CrossFit style routines where you almost calendar something to where it doesn't really matter how people feel? Um, I never, well, the workouts would be almost universally applicable. You could, the scaling is where the art form comes in. Like you can write a workout, but let's say you have a workout that has an overhead component and somebody comes in with a shoulder injury. The art form is being able to find a stimulus that works for them around their injuries. The workout itself, it's super easy to write. Tailoring it to the person, tailoring that workout so it's effective for the person where they are in that moment, and then doing it for another person and another person and another person. On the whiteboard, it says five things, but you actually turn around and you have 15 different variations. Will they do that? A good coach will. That's cool. Yeah, that's how I ran it at the gym that I owned. I mean, you write it on the whiteboard, but that's, or, you know, and a lot of times I would write workouts that were aspirational. Like, this is what I would love to be able to do. Yeah. But this is like your third day. So you get a PVC pipe okay. and you get 135 pounds. Okay. You know, and so that's, that's the art form. The writing of the actual structure is simple. Maybe that's why it's been hard for me to prescribe like archery routine, like archery workouts for people because I've got to the point where. I adapt so much to what I'm feeling yeah. to where I know if I'm if I'm in the right mindset, I'll overtrain because it's not overtraining. It's like it's utilizing CPU that's it's bandwidth that's there. And so there's times where there's times where maybe I've shot five hundred errors in a day, but there's also days where if I shoot forty, that's way more beneficial than five hundred. But I bet you could write out an optimal template for people, and then that would be chapter one, optimal template. Yeah. The other 15 t- chapters are how do you scale this? How do you modify this? What should you do on a good day? Is it, you know, and you can go into things like I shot my daily allotment, I still feel great. Is there value in shooting more, or is there a potential negative consequence in shooting more? Do you feel like you could write that if someone just, do you feel like you could write a book because someone told you to write a book? No. See, I don't either. But that's also because I'm a retard. <laughs> I'm not capable. I'm not going to write a book. It's not happening. I want to. I really want to. But it, but I feel like I feel like so many things that are like real that I say or write. Like sometimes posts that I write are based on a moment of experience. And that's what's hard. Like I don't know how I don't know how Jock, you know, he'll sit down and just like he'll write because he has to write. Mm. And I think that's a I forget what he told me one time. He said like the difference between if someone has writer's block, they're not really a writer. You know, because a writer needs a write. Yeah. Where I feel like I feel like things that I say are are like they're actually true expressions of what I feel. I'm not like writing because I want to I wanna write. So that's what's hard for me to like ever, people that have asked for me to put together a book, I feel like it would be very sporadic. Yeah, but you don't have to release it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you could write your book and take as long as you want to and then never publish it if it's not what you want. Yeah. People ask me to write books all the time and my answer is what am I going to talk about that hasn't been covered <laughs> ad nauseum? So there I was doing something that many, many people had done before me. And many, it's like, shut, shut up. I don't know. Did anyone smoke a dude with a javelin? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I wasn't the first person to do that. I might have loved it more than anybody else, <laughs> but I wasn't the first person to do that. I mean, 
How did you get that lock? Do you have like a Tonka toy keychain in his pocket? For what? Oh no, it's a heat. It's a heat-seeking missile. So, so you end up looking through the warhead, and it it's a fire and forget heat-seeking missile. So it was just heat signature. Yep. Straight up. Correct. Fire and forget. Have you shown anyone that video? I posted it on Instagram. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> Social media is for what I choose. I mean, I didn't necessarily describe what it was in the caption, but yeah, it's it's seen the light of day. All right. Do you think like do you think our better halves are waiting for us? Probably. It's five o'clock. Yeah, but it was a killer podcast though. It was. Yeah. And we can do a full auto Friday tomorrow or not. It's the beauty. I think we do it. All right. I think so, we do it. Well, stand by because I'm going to solicit for questions today. And guess what topic they'll probably be on. Dudley, what kind of bow should I buy? <laughs> no, do you know I'm how thinking many thousands like, of fucking times people have asked me, Andy, what bow should I buy? I'm like, please, for the love of God, ask John. <laughs> well, I mean, the bow. You that, finally gave me the answer yeah, recently. The, yeah, the bow that I brought this year was very specific for that. Yeah. But all right. That'll work. I'll save this other half. For Friday. For Friday. Well, actually, it'll come out on Friday. It will be filmed on Monday. Don't tell them that. They don't know. They do now. They've made it this far. (laughs) All right, man. (laughs) All right, knock on. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. Knockonarchery.com.